Hey guys, what's up? And it's week 266, and uh, you know what? I'm a little tired today, so hopefully I can get through the 10-15 titles I have for you without sounding too much like a zombie. Um, you know, sometimes when you have a lot of interesting or cool titles and you have so much so much to talk about, you feel like you're you're being a little skimpy on some of the movies. So uh, let's dive right into this. Uh, first up is a 4K from Blue Underground, which uh, I'm, I'm happy to see this get a re-release on, on 4K. This is Uncle Sam, of course, directed by William Lustig, Blue Underground is William Lustig's company, and uh, it's also written by Larry Cohen. And the thing about Uncle Sam is it, it's it's uh, made in '96, so that's really not a great time for American horror films, to be honest. But um, at, at the time around this area, you had stuff like Jack Frost, The Dentist, um, you know what was a couple of Ice Cream Man. So you had a lot of kind of ridiculous concepts in, in a lot of ways. Although I say that the dentist is played fairly straight, and Uncle Sam is played a little bit more straight than one would expect. I mean, uh, essentially, you get a lot of the uh, obviously this the stuff in there, the the social commentary that Larry Cohen puts in a lot of his movies, and it feels like they are trying uh, William Lustig and Larry Cohen teaming up again to try to recreate a lot of that magic they had in you know the Maniac Cop films, which I'm a fan of, of course. But uh, Uncle Sam. Uh, so, so it, I feel like when it came out, it got kind of a bad rep because it had, you know, the lenticular covered uncle Sam pointing at you. I want you. And it, it was definitely a gimmick, but, um, I always kind of enjoyed it and, and revisiting it in 4k. I was like, okay, this, this should be kind of special to watch uncle Sam in 4k. Um, first, uh, foremost, it has Dolby Atmos, Dolby vision. Um, this, the Dolby Atmos uh, um, sound mix was great, um, just tremendous, especially in the beginning. Right away, you know, you're in for something special with the sound mix because there's a lot of explosions and, and everything like that and some, some firing and all that stuff. And then, as you know, I, I originally saw this uh, like a handful of times when it came out. So another thing I noticed um, is how good the cast is. And it's filled with a lot of, you know, character actor veterans from from a lot of memorable films. Right in the beginning, we have William Smith. And then pretty soon we realize that, you know, Bo Hopkins is in here. Uh, one, Timothy Bottoms is in here. Isaac Hayes. And I was just like, that's such a treat, Robert Forrester. So it's all these guys that we've all grown to love, either from early like Westerns or, you know, like some of these 70s, 80s. 80s grindhouse movies, all that kind of stuff, just riddled with these kind of actors, tough guys, all that stuff. And obviously, Lustig is such a big fan of films and everything, and, and knows the the actors that just put asses in seats, or, or, or I don't even know if they put asses in seats. That's kind of the wrong term, but that genre fans, and, and himself being one, um, enjoy to see. And I was, I was very happy with the cast and this, uh, the kind of supporting cast and everything like that. So essentially, the plot is uh, there's this, uh, um, I think it's um, a sergeant, um, Sam Harper. He's killed in friendly fire and they send his body back to be with his, you know, his wife and his sister and all that and his nephew. And his nephew idolizes uh, his uncle Sam. There you go, right there, Uncle Sam. He idolizes Uncle Sam. He looks up to him as a, as a soldier and everything like that. But he doesn't re, he doesn't know him too well. And, and from what we understand, everybody that knows Sam knew that Sam had a, a troubled past, a, a lot of violence and all this kind of stuff. And, and as the movie goes on, we of course learn that. So uh, right at the beginning, the what what this plot's going to be about, or or you know, it doesn't follow the child's play approach where it's like, is the doll alive? I, I don't know. Yada yada. That kind of just what, what the people uh, uh, we see Uncle Sam kind of move right away as a corpse and crack a one-liner 
So we kind of, when he's sent back in that coffin, it's just a matter of time until, you know, Uncle Sam wakes up and starts killing people out of the coffin. And he's surrounded by all these people that, you know, they have this patriotic facade about them, but really they're just awful people. Like a lot of the politicians, of course, they're just, they don't care about soldiers. They don't care about America. They care about, you know, the money and they're all corrupt and everything. And that includes people like Robert Forrester. And uh, one of the, uh, the mayor is actually played by a guy who's in a, dozens of movies he's also in fade to black as a, a slimy kind of film producer and, and of course you know um one of the um i believe it is actually the mom's boyfriend is also a politician as a lawyer a lawyer a slimy lawyer um so like the thing is they do use a lot of clever funny kills like uncle sam uses stuff like that because um like it's just very appropriate visual stuff how they kills them you know killing a politician with fireworks on a fourth of july party is just like so on the nose but so funny at the same time and then you have people like uh, Isaac Hayes in there who's always fun and he's an ex-soldier and he kind of tries to, you know, paint the picture about, you know, how a lot of soldiers were damaged. And, and that although there is the glory that everybody thinks is there, there's also this dark side and all that stuff. And Sam is that dark side or the people that do want to get involved with this kind of stuff. But uh, so, so um, Uncle Sam actually steals the suit of a peeping Tom, uh, Uncle Sam on stilts, who's going to be in the parade. And that gives him this nice outfit and everything like that. But besides that, he you know, underneath, he, he's really cool because he's like this grotesque zombie and he actually puts his, his like, you know, his Medal of Honor in his actual flesh. So, like, little touches like that. It is, it, um, it does kind of, for me, it, it doesn't, I don't feel like it loses its steam necessarily. Um, but the setup is a blast. It does take a little while to get started, um, introducing characters and showing you how these people are going to be picked off and everything like that. But all in all, I find it a fairly enjoyable, you know, kind of, um, 90 slasher. And when we're comparing other 90 slashers, um, especially this was made the same year as Scream. So I, I know Scream had no influence on William Lustig, right? But, uh, it's a lot better than some of the ones I would compare it to. Like, I feel like it's so. I know Ice Cream Man is kind of a popular movie, and I enjoy it, but it's, Ice Cream Man has this over the top goofiness that is very purposely done. Well, Uncle Sam is played straight, although it is ridiculous, if that makes any sense to anyone. And I usually kind of find that stuff a little bit more. Um, enjoyable in certain ways and, and and especially maybe in the 90s i think that that wasn't a typical thing to do is play it straight you know because i'm saying we're compared to jack frost and fucking ice cream man so playing it straight in the 90s but it, it just it made it work well and like you could tell it's a cohen script as the clever stuff it has some solid dialogue amongst some of the character actors the child actor in here i i did kind of enjoy he really i don't think he did too much after this um the two lead uh kind of females the sister and they're okay they, they're they're decent they don't really shine to me um but they're not horrible either they don't, they're not distracting to the movie and, and it does follow that pattern like in, like ice cream man where everybody who is killed is kind of a piece of shit um for the most part uh the special effects are good um the gore effects are good and there's some slashings people get their heads cut off there's some shooting and all that stuff like that and the movie has this really strange kind of poem uh, read by William Smith, I'm almost 100% positive on that, in this raspy voice, uh, and it's just, it's kind of a nice little touch there, so uh, it looks good, and it sounds even better to me, I pick up on the Dolby Atmos, because you know, my hearing's not the, as good as it used to be, of course, so like when they have the Dolby Atmos, like in the mirror speakers, it really is such a well done kind of, how they how they have all the sounds uh, edited and stuff like that, it's just, it's a real good sound mix, like I can't uh, say that enough about these kind of, these releases. Now, the thing is, there's not too many special 
features on here. We have Fire Stunts with audio commentary by stunt quarter Spiro Razatos. And um, so I, so there's that. And it's definitely trying to like kind of recreate this, this the ultimate fire stunt from Maniac Cop 2, right? Um, and there's two commentaries. And I think they're both made in 2004 when the DVD got, or Blu-ray, DVD, DVD got released. So so um, they're talking about horror. It's a, the one is Larry Cohen and William Lustig. And the other one is uh, William Lustig and I believe Isaac Hayes. And, and Cohen and him are talking about how hard it is to get like kind of an independent feature made and all that kind of stuff. And, and and you feel that, and that was even in 96, and this is 2004, them reflecting on it. And it's a shame that William Lustig didn't direct 20, 30, 40 horror films, 40 exploitation movies, 40 movies in general, whatever he wanted to make, because his movies, are to me, are always good. Um, I've never, like I said, it, not enjoyed a William Lustig flick. Um, and he has great taste, and he curates a lot of good stuff in his, in his label. Um, and he does a great job. Um, so, so like, it's a shame there's not a lot of features on this, but I, I don't know if the, the, it really calls for it. I mean, so many of the people involved with this picture are dead. Isaac Hayes, Bo Hopkins, William Smith, they've all passed away since, which is kind of a shame, of course. But, uh, yeah, so if you're a fan of Uncle Sam or you don't really remember it that well, give it another spin, and I think you'll enjoy it. And just in time for 4th of July, I mean, is there a better way to spend than, than spend 4th of July with, you know, with Uncle Sam? It's the only way to do it. There's no better way to spend fourth of july um than with uncle sam and it, it even got the lecticular cover coming back here so so anyways looked and sounded great uh kind of a um not a beloved kind of 90 slasher there's not very many beloved 90 slashers but one that i think kind of uh, deserves a rewatch and maybe some people just to kind of understand the fun in it because there's millions of movies that are just absolutely garbage made now that they don't even give a shit, and people think they're fun, and I think this one cares, and I think it's fun, and it has some cool moments to it, too. So, it's Uncle Sam on 4K, believe it or not, from Blue Underground. Okay, this next one here is from Sub Rosa Films, and this is like the retro label here, and this is Video Psycho. And I believe this one was made in like 96, 97, around that time, I think 97. Um, so, this is a SOV, Dirt Cheap, by a guy named uh, Del Carey. Um, and the only other movie he kind of directed was one of the segments in Snuff Perversions, which I've not seen in years, and that's kind of like an anthology snuff movie. Um, so this is Video Psycho. So um, I covered a couple of these SOV movies released by SRS, and they're really kind of mixed bag. Some are really kind of hidden gems, like um, the Night Feeder I thought was really cool, and then some are, are really kind of not my thing, like the hidden. But uh, Video Psycho, so this opens up, and uh, it's a hitchhiker story right in the beginning. And just to sum up how funny this, it's made obviously by young people. So like dialogue is not going to be the most realistic thing. Again, like the director says in the commentary, it is a horror movie. Okay. He's doing a commentary. So you have to suspend some disbelief, you know, just suspend belief, whatever, you know how it goes. But so, um, I, I'm watching this and this guy picks up this hitchhiker. They start talking. He's like, and the guy says he has no place to stay. He's like, you know what? You could stay on my couch. And then they start talking and, and, and he's just like, Hey, I killed somebody. He's like, no, quit playing around. Cause they start talking about the bad things they do. He shows him an actual snuff tape, and then he's like, oh, well, couch is right here. It's just so funny to me. It's like, in what world do you pick up a hitchhiker, let him stay on your couch with where you live with your sister and your girlfriend, and then he tells you he killed somebody, shows you evidence, you don't buy it, 
kind of. And then you say, well, couch is right here. I'm going to bed. It's just nonsense. Well, anyways, this guy invades his life and starts to kind of get his focused on the sister and he starts to manipulate him because he, he basically takes his car one night and he commits another murder and he says, I'm going to blame this on you. And you learn that this guy is obviously kind of a crazy cycle. It's very much like the 90s kind of thrillers that we saw a lot of, but it's done on an SOV level. It's done with kind of real shaky dialogue and real shaky acting. But like as far as SOV is concerned, you know, acting is, you know, it's edited so poorly at times because of their editing and tape a lot of times. So it's like the, the cutoffs. So there's like air where there shouldn't be and that kind of stuff. But like the dialogue, it's very much like kind of almost like the, I don't even want to say, it doesn't feel memorized. It's an improv somewhat, but uh, a little shaky on the dialogue. I think some of the victims were better. You know, because they didn't carry a lot of lines. There's that, that small moment of, of them being murdered, and there's like this big segment of a bunch of those. And some of those people do a, a better job. Um, so it, it's very young people, you know, making a SOV kind of, I wouldn't even call it a slasher. It's more of a thriller, but there is a lot of kills in it. So it, it's definitely not going to be everybody's cup of tea. Maybe it's something that like you're curious about uh, watching a lot of these or you're a collector of the SOV movies from the 90s. Um, it's one that I had never heard of. It has a snuff, um, I don't even say snuff because because he's not selling the tapes, but, uh, you know, somebody videotaping murders and everything like that. Um, as far as the special features are concerned, there's new, it's newly restored and remastered feature length commentary track victims of the psycho interview. Um, and that was kind of funny because there's like three or four victims that have small roles and they're like, how did you get killed? And they're like, I, and they, they remember, they say all of it. And I'm like, that's so weird. I, I don't know if I'd remember 25 years later. Then there's some bloopers at the end. We're like, how did I get, I don't, I don't remember. And you're like, that's about right. Um, art, art Molina interview, um, uh, Adam Kratz interview, Jennifer Jordan interview, rehearsal, deleted and alternate scenes, outtakes, all that kind of stuff. So really, this is pretty much all the stuff you're going to get for a video psycho. So if you're a fan, I never heard anyone bring this up. So it's nice that they're kind of finding these lost SOV movies. Not every one of them is a winner, but you know, it depends what kind of mileage you'll get from these uh, SOV movies. Like I said, some of them are real kind of fun hidden gems for me, like Night Feeder. Um, and, and there's like some other ones too. Snuff Kill. I'm looking at the, 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 SO, the ones right now. I thought were really good. Um, transgression was interesting enough, and, and there's a bunch of them. I, I'll cover more of these down the line. I kind of enjoy just watching the SOV kind of low-budget stuff. And, of course, there's a video store scene. There's got to be. Um, there was a video store scene in the last one of these I covered from SRS. So, anyways, uh, Video Psycho. I, I want to call it Video Murders because the other movie, but Video Psycho. Okay, this next one here is a doozy, and this is from MVD Visual, and they've been putting out a lot of the uh, Draft House films, putting these out again, and this is Sion Sano's movie, Why Don't You Play in Hell? And uh, Sion Sano is a, is a really strong director. I know he's had some problems lately. I, I don't keep up on a lot of that stuff. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like it's too good on his side at all. But uh, as far as his films are concerned, they're all pretty great. Um, he did stuff like Suicide Club, um, Cold Fish. Um, what are the other ones that I'm thinking? Uh, Norikio's Dinner Table, uh, Strange Circus. And uh, he just has a love exposure. The guy's done a lot of movies, and every one I've seen, I, I felt really positive about or at least I was so interested in them and they have a lot of layers and everything like that so why don't you play in hell is less of a horror film like a lot of his other films and it's just a, it's, it's, it's a strange kind of movie that's almost like a love letter like when I was watching this I was, this is, I was like is this like the 
twisted, insane version of Cinema Paradiso for, like, uh, Sciencano. And, like, I feel like it is. Like, that's the only thing that came to mind for me, but it's got this weird warped sense of craziness. So, uh, it's an epic movie that follows all these characters over or, over two time periods, kind of see them grow up and everything like that. In the beginning, we have this group of uh, fuck bombers. That's what they call themselves, and they're filmmakers. There's, I think, uh, three of them, and there's a couple cameramen, uh, camerawoman, cameraman, and the director, and he's, they're obsessed with films. And one day, they film this Yakuza fight, and they find like their lead actor in that Yakuza fight, and they think he's great, and you know, like, he's going to be Japan's Bruce Lee, yada, yada, yada. On that same day, they film a Yakuza who had been uh, attacked by uh, a, another Yakuza rival gang's ba- wife. So he's kind of hurt, and they film him. And, like, we follow the story of the Yakuza as well. And the daughter of one of the Yakuza bosses is this uh, girl who's famous for this toothbrush commercial that is, uh, that is, um, uh, Nash. Nash. It has this, like, catchy song that it plays out throughout the entire movie. And every time it comes up, it just feels different. And, like, it just is, it makes, brings a smile to your face, but also has, like, this bittersweet kind of feeling and everything like that. So, in the weird kind of Japanese commercial style they would have. So, eventually, like, we kind of fast forward through when we grow up and we have all these characters that have intermingled in the beginning of the film we've been introduced to and they're all going to come together in this final kind of this moment there's just like really sad stuff in here with the fuck bombers where like the lead actor is just like he becomes very uh you know disconnected and he just is 25 years old he's almost 30 years old at this point and he just uh oh yeah about 30 and he just doesn't want to do it anymore as an actor and just not make it and like i think anybody that's ever made independent films or, or wanted to act in independent films can have that idea that you're like here i am and i'm making these movies and i'm trying to do my best and it's just it's not coming that chance is not coming and it's not that you're doing it for the money or doing it for the exposure but you need some kind of um, success somehow to want to go further with it and if you don't have it it feels empty and you watch and everybody pass you by or or have these stable lives and you're like well i kind of want that as well you you really see it in this character and everything like that and they have this knockout drag out fight but that's only part of the movie like the other half of the movie is this like interconnected yakuza rival bosses that are going to go at it and the, the yakuza's daughter who's now grown up as well who's gone missing and she takes this young guy under under her and says act like my boyfriend and it gets complicated and they're trying to make a movie for the wife who basically defended the boss's honor by killing a bunch of people. So when she gets released, basically they'll have this movie made for her. And at no other choice, he has to make this super low-budget movie. And he decides somehow the fuck bombers are going to make it through all these weird kind of series of uh, misfortunes and weird shit going on. And they make the most crazy, epic Yakuza War movie. But guess what? The catch is, is actually a Yakuza War going on. And in traditional Japanese film, the only way to carry that out would be to use katana swords instead of guns. So what we get is this most ridiculous, absolute bonkers battle scene with all the characters involved that have been established that you've grew up with kind of in the film. And it's going to be crazy. And I'm going to be honest, I felt it very touching, very crazy, very violent. Just, um, I know a lot of people will be like, well, it's, it's so weird to have this endearing quality about the movie, but then have all this hyper violence and stylized craziness to it. And I can understand that if that's not your style or that's not something you're, you, it appeals to you. But like I said before, i find violence you know in films good entertaining fascinating and also you know it, it's playing on like 
the the movies they enjoyed and they've made uh, for a long time. But there's a lot of great dark comedy beats in here, especially with the older Yakuza boss who's waiting for his wife. He's also in Cold Fish, if I'm not mistaken. And, and I've seen a lot of the actors in this movie pop up in other films, and they're always really good. And uh, the, the Yakuza boss is absolutely wonderful. And and there's a lot of like kind of goofy kind of special effects at the end in terms of CGI blood and everything. But by the time I was with it, I was so in love with the movie and the, the absolute ending of running down the street. Um, and that's all that matters. That's all that matters is getting the film done. Nothing matters. Nobody's life, nobody's death, all this thing. And the delusional kind of mentality that this filmmaker has that, you know, he doesn't see that this is true carnage for anything. It's just, he sees the, um, the delusional aftermath of it. And, and, and in a lot of ways, I feel like to be a successful independent director or someone that just doesn't care about what anyone else thinks and puts forward and all they care about is the movies. And a lot of those people aren't successful. Um, it, it's 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 a really kind of cool portrayal. And I think that uh, I feel like anybody who's directed an independent movie or been on an independent movie set kind of can get a little bit of that feeling or understand it a little bit. Right. I think so. And I think it's kind of like a... a a rallying call, um, maybe a dangerous rallying call for some people, but I, I just was really happy with the movie. There's a lot of side characters in the background that are very funny, and they, they'll cut to them in special ways during moments that are very funny that I thought were really great. Um, anyways, I thought this was a wonderful movie, and I, I loved it. I loved the hell out of it. I didn't really know what to expect from Sono, but uh, he's never really failed to deliver on anything he's just a very interesting good very prolific director as well um obviously always compared to Takashi Miike but uh yeah I feel like there is a difference here and it says mankind's greatest achievement film.com uh yeah I, I quite enjoyed it um there's no special features on here which bummed me out but uh it is what it is it's back in print and a lot of people can grab grab it at a relatively good price which is something that uh, is nice because uh when good movies like this are out of print it's just like kind of a pain in the ass right you're like, why is this out of print when I can buy, you know, not to pick on anything in particular, but you can buy like just genuinely crap movies that you may enjoy, but they're genuinely crap, right? So why don't you play in hell? Spectacular. Next up is a double feature from Mondo Macabro, and I really don't know how much I'm going to be able to say about these movies, but it is The, the Ravager and the Bushwhacker, and I'm going to cover them together because they share so many of the same themes, and I really don't have too much to say about The Bushwhacker and Adult Color Spectacular. So um, anyways, like I feel like I'm kind of being a little cheap on this review here, but um, it is definitely kind of like in the Ruffy style. It's 1968, so it's really early for this kind of stuff as far as I, I know. I know we had like the Herschel Gordon Lewis Gore films in the early 60s and stuff, and we had, did have like kind of like sexploitation and stuff, but like when I think Ruffies, I, I think maybe like stuff like Wrong Way, I think that was early 70s, maybe 1970, I'm not 100% sure, but then like stuff like Water Power, which came out, you know, 74. 576 stuff around that time so like 68 i'm like oh boy wow and i know these movies existed it's just that a lot of them didn't get exposure that's what mono macabro is so good about and uh, agfa and all those kind of places like that so the bushwhacker what 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 it's about is essentially um there's this crazed vietnam vet which is the theme in this these two films that shoots down this kind of uh, passenger plane and like four people uh towards a little small plane um four people crash uh kind of a playboy and three uh, beautiful women and uh at first you know the the couple are sneaking away and having these elongated sex scenes like they should and kind of a, a sex movie you know but then over time the kind of bushwhacker starts to pick them off kidnap the women kind of uh do some deep 
deviants, like beating them, torturing them, and, and raping them, of course. We have uh, scenes where, you know, obviously characters know stuff's wrong, but they go and have sex anyways. Um, there's a lesbian sex scene. It all takes place kind of in the desert area and all that kind of stuff. Until eventually there is a climax where the Bushwhackers got to face off against uh, the main guy here. Um, the music doesn't help the movie. I mean, the music's very dated. And, um, you know, like I feel like a lot of early kind of crazy sex movies or crazy violent movies, sometimes the music would be a little out of place. I know a lot of people would reference Last House on the Left. I actually adore Last House on the Left's music. Um, and that's just kind of a product of its time. But even this music is, is just more, much more dated than something like that. And, and Last House on the Left has like the great music of The Road Leads Nowhere, but it also has like the, the, the Keystone Cops theme and stuff like that. But this music is just very generic and very of its time and maybe even a little older than it should be, you know, for it. But um, it's just a movie that I find interesting was even made, especially in 1968, because we had the Vietnam War, Vietnam conflict, what they call it conflict, but from like 64 to technically 74 or something like that. So this is like in the heart of Vietnam, 68. Um, so obviously it's just like it's an exploitation film playing on that fear too that the, the Vietnam guy, and I believe he was a Vietnam vet, and that's what kind of why they're together on this set. So the next one here is The Ravenger, and this stars a guy who pops up in a, cu a couple of uh, Ray Dennis Steckler's movies, which I'm not too familiar with his films. I think I've seen Cynthia, um, and that's it, and I don't think that guy's in this one. But The Ravenger, the plot of The Ravenger from 1970 is a little bit more something that I find more interesting here. So what we have here is a Vietnam vet, and um, this is definitely like the psychology 101 kind of shit that you see in a lot of exploitation or horror films. Uh, so what we have is the Vietnam witness vet witnesses while he's in Vietnam and he witnesses this woman, this Vietnamese woman get raped by these two guys. And instead of, you know, just leaving her or killing her, or shooting her, they blow her up. So it's like somehow this is like a sexual awakening for this guy. And he's like a foreign guy who went to the United States and got drafted or something like that or signed up. So like he's all weird in, in the sense of after seeing this, it completely messes up his sex, psychology. But uh, so so when he goes back to the States, he's, he's definitely an outcast. He's kind of wandering around looking for things to do. And uh, the first thing he does is he, he goes to like this, this gun place and he buys dynamite, <laughs> all this dynamite. And it, it's very funny now. Like, I, this is not funny. I shouldn't say funny. But I found it kind of interesting in a way that like it's so easy to buy dynamite in this movie and the guy behind the register is just making jokes with them and the and the guy he's selling it to is clearly fucking out of his mind. And like we have like that too, like problems obviously, you know, people just selling dangerous weapons to people that I would assume kind of look like they're out of their fucking mind. But like, you know, that that guy, he's just like buying this dynamite and he's just like, Hey man, I need your address. No, so you don't blow anybody up. huh? And the guy's like, okay. I'm <laughs> just like, no, I don't think I'm selling the dynamite to this guy, man. Um, so after he gets the dynamite, he finds a place to live with this awful woman, uh, this awful landlord, which you know where this is leading to at the movie. So, a lot of this film is patched together with narration, and you'll notice that with a lot of really cheap movies um, that probably were barely completed, they'll just patch it together with narration to kind of fill up loose ends or scenes they didn't shoot or whatever the hell they want to do. So he kind of goes around and he finds like couples having sex, and if he can kill the guy and get the woman by herself, he'll rape her. And then he'll blow her up as well. So he's blowing up couples, which is an insane fucking way to kill people. Like, it, it, that's kind of the gimmick. You're like, I can't believe the Ravager is literally blowing people up while they're in their car. I mean, get move to the side, son of Sam. This guy's got fucking dynamite. What do you got? Just a, what What kind of gun did he have? A, did he have a 44 Magnum or something? Anyways, I don't know what gun son of Sam had, but he was shooting people. This guy's blowing them up with dynamite. So, uh, yeah, I, like that idea is just insane. Uh, but it does get a little repetitive. We see three or four kind of explosions. You're know, like, I 
I get it. I get it. A lot of like elongated sex scenes. Of course, they got to add in the element of this horrible piece of shit hates lesbians as well because you know that's just kind of like the. It's like these monsters always have like this weird kind of like morality about them where they're like you know this person's a piece of shit so I killed them. They they had it coming though. You know I'm I just you know blow people up. There's nothing wrong. You know that kind of shit. But again, the Vietnam vet kind of thing going through this one was uh, another little interesting aspect. And at the very end, it's kind of just like this comes out of nowhere with a private eye. It's just like they needed to end this. I'd be surprised if they had a script to this movie, to be honest. Um, the lead actor is not very good, not very convincing, not really an actor. I, I don't question Mark. He was in more movies, but I don't know. He's not very convincing. Um, the special features are really just kind of like uh, about like special thanks and stuff. There's not really any special features on here. It is region free, though, at all, uh, all three regions, if you want to check this out. And there was like a... Um, kind of like a deluxe edition and and it was and this took a long time to get the standard edition for Mondo Macabro. So uh if these sound like they're up your alley, a lot of sex, a lot of nudity and a lot of people getting blown up, a lot of bad like cop acting. Like again, I'll, I'll refer to the Herschel Gordon Lewis movies where it's like here's this 10 minute scene of me talking, I don't know who this is and I don't know why they're did. very much on the nose kind of cop acting and stuff like that in the Ravenger. So yeah, uh sounds like it's up your alley. Check them out. Some people will dig these um as a curio, I guess they're kind of interesting. Um, not necessarily my thing, but I, I'm not upset I watched The Ravager, I'll tell you that. Just because I'm just like, this guy's using dynamite. It's like, that That to me is, is kind of worth watching, just because it's so crazy, right? The next one here is from RLJE Films, and this is Off Season, directed by Mickey Keating, who did stuff like Darling and Carnage Park, and he had a couple other ones, uh, Pod, which is a really good film, and I, I like Darling as well. So, Off Season, um, yeah, like I said, Mickey Keating is a good, solid indie director. Director. He, I, I feel like this guy would do a really good job with a lot of money. He always does a good job. Like, no matter the budget, I feel like he always kind of delivers an off-season. So, right away, I was watching this, and uh, the plot is essentially... Um, it feels very much like a, a kind of a modern like kind of plot. I guess people would say the elevated horror, which is essentially just old horror movies or horror movies in general. But you know what I mean. A little bit more of that kind of like family like trauma and stuff like that. So this like it's that, but it's also very Lovecraftian in two different ways because we have this woman getting a report that her mother was buried on this island. She didn't want to be buried on, and somebody's kind of destroyed the gravesite. She has to go there. And so, like, um, we have these flashes of her with her mother, and her mother's obviously mentally ill, and as the movie progresses, stranger, weirder things happen. So we have that idea of Lovecraft where we have that hereditary sickness, which he would go into in a few stories, where um, one of the stories in general was where they had, like, some sort of, I don't want to spoil the story, but they had something in their evolutionary, you know, uh, or their, 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 their family tree that completely fucked them all up. So, like, I feel like that idea of that possible madness through hereditary is a Lovecraftian idea. But on top of that, we definitely kind of definitely pull in the shadows over Innsmouth, um, Innsmouth or Innsmouth, I think it's Innsmouth or Dagon, whichever story you prefer, both kind of involving fish creatures. Um, so, so we have that kind of going on too, and like this old God kind of thing here. Um, so the first thing I noticed about the movie was again, the sound mix. I, I talked about that on Uncle Sam, but the sound mix here was very loud and very crashing and very scary and, and just very effective because we have this coastal, you know, this island town or whatever, this island city and 
like the wind and the rain and the atmosphere came through on the sound and it just felt very it was really effective so essentially what happens is her husband and uh, her try to go here they um, they're stopped by Richard Brake at the bridge and says hey you guys can't come in here if you do you may get trapped for this season because I'm turning this bridge around and, and nobody comes here this is a tourist town after that and you guys are stuck so they get there they see the gravesite. there's obviously been some terrible things that happened to it they meet a couple of locals right off the bat they're strange they're odd their interactions are bonkers and as they progress we see more flashbacks with the mother people start to disappear and we realize these people are not on the level and they they they're definitely want her for some reason and uh there's a good reveal at the very end i thought it was a solid good movie um i will admit though while watching it it, it, it definitely uh, just reminded me of movies i liked better and i'm not saying that as trying to be a hater or a jerk or anything like that but i i did have similarities to dagon but I, I I wouldn't say Dagon is that much better than this movie. I do enjoy Dagon. I think Dagon's special effects are much better. I think it goes there when you're supposed to. But uh, I think that the movie reminded me mostly of the 1993-94 movie. 93, I think it is, called Dark Waters. Um, which is a really good kind of like Italian, I would say. It's Italian, but it's made in like Russian territories at the time. So it's very strange and very late for the Italian horse cycle. But it's just an amazing Lovecraftian. I got a letter that I need to visit this place where my mother was from. Hereditary horror thing. And it's just a brilliant movie. And it's probably the best of its kind in, in a way. Like I feel like Messiah of Evil has some similarities to that as well. But those movies I feel like while I was watching it, I felt like this feels like Messiah of Evil. This feels like Dark Waters. And I appreciate them even being something like that nowadays because those movies are so slow burn and, and creepy and scary and just wonderfully well done and where they get you to think. And I feel like this one has a little bit of that. Do I think it plays out as well? I don't. I don't. I don't think it does. Um, but I think Richard Brake steals the show when he has his big moment on the, the bridge. I think that was great stuff. Jeremy Gardner's in here. He's a good indie actor. Always pleasant to see him. And I can't believe I forgot the guy's name from Your Next. He's in a bunch of movies. He He's a director himself. Um, he's like the, one of the big prominent, prominent guys from Mumblecore. I can't remember his freaking name. Swanberg. Joe Swanberg. He's in here too. I mean, the acting's all solid, all cool, good idea, good concept, great sound mix, and, and good location. Location, wonderful location. A good movie. A good a good horror flick you should check out. No special features, unfortunately. This one might be on Shudder. I'm not 100% sure. I watched the Blu-ray. Obviously, I just showed it. But uh, check out Off-Season. Don't be confused with this. Does not have anything to do with Jack Ketchum's Off-Season, which I know people might want it to be because we've had all the other ver- books of that series adapted in the movies Offspring and The Woman. But no, we've never got an official Off-Season. Um, this is a different Off-Season. So uh, check it out. If it sounds like it's up your alley, I think technically it counts as a 20 2022 movie for a wide release if people are keeping track and you could do much worse in 2022 for sure okay so the other night i had some friends over we were watching some movies relaxed and all that good stuff and uh i was like you know what's a great kind of group movie to enjoy um a john woo flick his first american flick and it's hard target Starring legendary actor, action star, Jean-Claude Van Damme from 94, if I'm not mistaken, 93. Also has Wilford Brimley in here, Lance Hendrickson, Arnold Vassolo. And who's the female interest in here? Um, geez, Nancy Butler, I remember her name. Couldn't remember it off the top of my head, though. Uh, so anyways, Hard Target, Kino release, 4K. I think it's the international version. Uh, yeah, this movie's fucking over the top as hell uh first and foremost i, I loved john claude van damme growing up you know uh liked uh lionheart 
um, Bloodsport, Universal Soldier, Death War, and all that stuff. I like Cyborg growing up. I, I was a big John claude Van Damme fan. We rented all the action movies, Arnold, Stallone, Van Damme. And there was a handful of like uh, Van Damme movies I still loved. Hard Target was one of them, and I was very excited to see Kino put it out on 4K. And again, sound mix. Lots of fucking explosions. This movie is extra, I guess this is what the kids would say. That is an embarrassing line. Cut that. Cut that. I'm going to cut that. I'm not cutting it. But uh, anyways, it's just the sound mix is ridiculous. Lots of explosions. And, and it's John Woo, so it's just like, yep, this is going to be over the top. Um, if anybody's not familiar, John Woo did, you know, Hard Boiled, which we covered on here. Love Hard Boiled, The Killer, but also some American movies like Face Off, Broken Arrow. Just He's a really great action director, arguably the best, arguably the best when it comes to the kind of shootouts and all that kind of stuff. So essentially, uh, it feels like this movie's slightly, you know, in the future because cops are on strike, all this kind of stuff here. Well, we're in like RoboCop territory, right? Some cops are on strike and stuff like that, but detectives still work. Huh? I don't know what's up with that. And there's a group of uh, rich people led by Lance Hendrickson and his main henchman is Arnold Vassal, uh, Vassalu. Vassalu. I think I say it. He pops up in The Mummy and uh, Darkman 2 and 3 um, as an unconvincing Peyton Westlake. But uh, so so essentially what we have here is they hire like people to do this game of death. You know, the most dangerous game, surviving the game, all these kind of movies that we've seen a lot. They never get old for me. So they basically give them a, a money belt and they got to run and survive. And if they make it to a river or a lake or something like that, uh, they get the money, they get to go. But on their tail is Lance Hendrickson and his goons and a bunch of like hunters that pay for it. Um, so like a bunch of rich people that want to hunt, you know, people for because they're sick. Right. They pay like uh, three quarters of a million dollars to kill someone like, you know, kind of like it's obviously a statement on the kind of the people that will draw, go like pay all this money to go uh, to a different country to shoot a rhino. Uh, but you know, it's, it's a bit different. I guess they pay into the, you know, paying all that kind of money to save the place that, but the people will let them shoot the rhinos so they can save other animals. I don't know. It's definitely, this is definitely worse than that because they're shooting like homeless people, Vietnam vets. So essentially in the very beginning, this guy is killed in a brutal fashion. It turns out that that was Yancey Butler's dad. He was living on the streets and, um, Jean-Claude Van Damme is also homeless and looking around and stuff. So she starts to like, look into the story John claude starts helping her they obviously catch on to you know Lance Hendrickson and uh, Vassalou's kind of the scheme and everything like that and of course John claude Van Damme and her become you know the next target the hard target so uh, Lance Hendrickson is like we need to call in all the goons so he calls in all these ridiculous over the top hunters uh, which he refers to as a fucking buffalo which was very funny especially when he calls this big Texas guy a buffalo but uh, yeah one is Sev Thorzen from you know Arnold Schwarzenegger movies Conan the Barbarian The Running Man a bunch of his movies really happy to see him in here <laughs> he's very very cheap and over the top like all the bad guys in the movie like especially the hunters they're just ridiculous looking like he has like you know like one guy's in like the texas outfit and one guy's got these sunglasses and one guy's they're not even wearing like matching camo they're all over the place and they're like these two cheap biker goons so essentially it's a big chase movie and Van Damme picks them all off, you know, uh via rattlesnake. Um Wilford Brimley's his uncle and he's uh, he's Cajun and he's fun and as and as a, as kids me and my brother love Wilford Brimley in this my whole family like, oh Wilford Brimley and uh Hard Target we love him um and you know he's he's picking off goons with a uh with a with a bow and arrow um but yeah so it's just a big action set piece at the very end and uh Van Damme his action scenes are good. The action is, is very fun. Lots of big, crazy squibs. Lots of people getting wasted. Lots of slow motion, which we all love. Um, Lance Hendrickson is so over the top. I love it. He's screaming. He's got a harsh voice. He's just really entertaining in this one. I enjoyed it. 
Um, and John Claude's decent in it. I mean, his accent's not perfect. Um, I know he redubbed it and whatnot. Yancey Butler, I like, um, and, and just a lot of fun in the movie. It's very extra if that may, if for like all those kind of shit, like I said, um, it's very entertaining though. And it's very enjoyable. I mean, it's not as good as hard, uh, hard boiled, but it's still a vastly entertaining movie. I watched a, a dozen times, if not more as a kid. And I, I'll watch it probably a half dozen more times before I die. But anyways, uh, as far as the special features are concerned, I did watch a few of these. We have audio commentary with Brandon Bentley and Michael Leader. From Hard Boil to Hard Target interview with director John Woo, which was nice because he mentions having fans coming to America. He's like, what is this? is strange. Fans. Uh, Hendrickson versus Van Damme interview with actor Lance Hendrickson. Love Lance Hendrickson. Very interesting guy. Talks about, you know, him not being a super intelligent like cerebral, kind of like book reading kind of guy, but he needs to like approach these movies as and understand them. And uh, just, he's a very, he's a very, you know, as, as uneducated as he says he is, he certainly doesn't come across that way. Um, mentioning the money belt was his idea, all that good stuff. And of course, Sam Raimi also worked on this movie as kind of like, I think like a producer of some sort, but you could see a little Sam Raimi in here. Some of the crazy camera work It's a little bit Sam Raimi. You'll spot Ted Raimi as well in here. Small role. Hard times in a big easy interview with actress Yancey Butler. She, she mentions uh, the Van Damme butt squeeze, uh, gung fu and Van Damage interview stunt coordinator, Billy Burton. So if you're a fan of this movie, I really recommend checking it out. It's violent. It's crazy. It's hard target man with van damme with john claude van damme uh i love this movie very fun and great release too looks good sounds good just recommended you know if you're a fan of surviving the game most dangerous any of those kind of movies then check this one out i think you won't be disappointed and i'm surprised you hadn't seen it if, if that's the case okay the next one here is the patreon pick and this is from jason willard and this is knockabout um, directed by Sammo Hung, also has Sammo Hung in here, and this is a this is a pretty fun movie. Um, hopefully, I can recall a lot. I watched a lot of these early in the week, so uh, basically, this is about two brothers. They're thieves. They're always looking for a, a quick way to make a buck, and uh, it's just a really fun moment in the very beginning of the movie. Sammo Hung is like this this kind of like this this homeless guy, this grifter kind of guy who always ends up on top, even though he seems like kind of like the drunken buffoon, you know, that kind of style and everything like that. So the two brothers basically have this elaborate scheme in the very beginning, which is played off beautifully and hilariously where they rip this kind of pawn shop off that tries to take advantage of them. So you first think that they're being ripped off, but it, it turns not to be. And then they lose the money. They get ripped off. And then they have these, this fight in this poker hall where they think they have money, but they really don't. And that, that kind of leads them to trying to rip off this other guy who has ends up being this awesome master who puts a beat down on both of them and they think that we need to gain this guy's trust become his pupils and maybe get back at him so they start to learn from this guy there as their master and he's a strange individual keeps to himself you don't really know much about him but he decides to train them and he trains them in two different styles one day these villains come looking for him and some people end up dead and the villains that come looking for him they're really unique one of them is a like a feminine one and you don't typically i don't remember typically seeing that maybe in other one shaw brothers movie this isn't a shaw brothers I don't believe, but you see it like in one of the Shaw Brothers movies where there was a character who learned a female style. But this character, this like feels like they suggest there's like a homosexuality between the characters, and like the one guy's got a really bizarre kind of look, and like they switch up and fight him and, and defeat him, and that all that fight stuff is really d well done. But as it goes on, like you start to learn this master of theirs is not on the level. And that's kind of like where something the back will spoil, it, but I won't spoil it. But tragedy strikes, and of course, like any good kung fu movie. Somebody needs to to relearn everything or learn something, and they got a pupil that they got a master in Samo Hung, 
and of course he's really really good in this one and um he's got to learn train and get his revenge so this one's good i enjoyed it i thought it was really well done i thought the acting was funny i thought that the gag fighting was really good and some hung's really good at that stuff i i mean i only compare him to the ones i've seen like spooky encounters and i think he was tremendous in that one and he's really good in this one as well um as far as the special features are concerned um we have a limited we have a this is there was a lot of different versions of this movie we have two versions of the film original hong kong theatrical version and shorter export version i watched the original theatrical presented in 1080p brand new 2k restorations we can watch it in cantonese english dubbed um and then the original classic dub there's like three different we have cantonese and then two different dubs on here and everything like that we have a new commentary on here with frank jinn and michael worth and then another commentary mike leader and arnie vimonia archival interview with samo hung archival interview with brian beardy uh lang karyan uh, archival interview with grandmaster chang sung chung aka the monkey king a master of monkey style kung fu deleted scene originally used teaser footage for films japanese uh released and at trailer all that kind of stuff I, I thought this was really good i will definitely watch this one again uh there's a lot of good funny gags in here and everything um so this one is a little bit different you know like the comedy and kung fu is a little new to me i know that jackie chan had a lot of that stuff in, and summer hung has a lot of it and i really enjoyed the summer hung stuff i've seen but knockabout from Eureka films this is region locked and it's a fortune star not, i remember they like a fortune star was like a, a distro company but I mean, that's who initially put it out they put out a lot of dvds and everything like that i'm sure everybody had a handful of vcds and dvds I, I had a bunch of the Fortune Star DVDs, and they released lots of strange stuff. Um, so anyways, this is Knockabout. Check it out if it sounds like it's up your alley. And remember, Eureka, direct from the website, always has free shipping. So usually you can get them for $20 or something like that shipped all the way from the U.K., which ain't bad. You know, get a couple of them, like, at a time. It's just uh, Eureka is, is a lot more affordable than you would think importing in comparison to a lot of the other sites that charge you $30, $20 for international. So get, get on the Eureka site and check out check out them and, and the shipping is free always all right guys let's hop into those 1980 movies they did this to you they're trying to turn us against each other just look at them what do they know about friendship anyway i'll get them you watch i'll take care of those son bitches Watch it, Alan. I'm shooting. Oh, good Lord. It's... It's unbelievable. It's... It's horrible. I can't understand the reason for such cruelty. It must have something to do with some obscure sexual writer. With the almost profound respect... Getting very careless. Blood in your hair. What will we do? You want to look pretty, don't you? Pretty for me. I can't believe you're not afraid. All you have to do is piss on it. Could you care blood, ain't you? God damn it, Ralph, get out of here. Go on, get. Leave people alone. You'll never come back again. Oh, shut up, Ralph. It's got a death curse. Evil. God, my leg. God, my leg. There's a fog bank out there. Messenger of God. You're doomed if you stay here. Demanding everything, including blood. John, I want this material burned. All of it. 
attacked me, the one who pulled me underneath the water. Then he's still there. Used servant. I think you will all meet again. <laughs> In hell! I'd have mercy on his soul. He was one ruthless son of a bitch. Wendy, stay away! Darling, light of my life. I'm not gonna hurt you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said, I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. I'm gonna bash him right the fuck in. <laughs> well, Dad, are you proud of me now? Do I measure up? Huh? My son, my son was a son of a bitch, and he was no good. That's it. My son is dead. I don't want to talk about him no more. Oh, Cindy. Oh, Cindy. You're gonna die. We didn't find any boy. You know as well as I do, it takes all kinds of critters to make farmer Vincent fritters. I wonder who the real cannibals are. Okay, the first up for 1980 is the Richard Elfman movie. That's right. Forbidden Zone. This is not a horror film. It's not a... Not exploitation film? I, I guess my first category of this would be sci-fi cult. I think it's a cult movie through and through. This is the director's cut. This has been colorized, which which kind of looks strange. And there was a big kind of like thing about it where like, uh, you know, there's a character that's kind of like in blackface in the black and white version or you so you think it would be. And this one, they, they put it in whiteface, like kind of in that. So like seeing it colorized was a bit different, a bit kind of like strange and jarring. But the movie is completely bonkers, completely jarring in the first place. So it's just like it doesn't you know it's freaking bonkers i think i prefer the black and white version oh boy how do i go about the plot of forbidden zone i don't even know how to go about this movie to be brutally honest with you richard elfman is a very bizarre director and filmmaker he did 1994 shrunken heads he did modern vampires uh he's got a new movie coming out which is kind of crazy so richard elfman's brothers of danny elfman from oingo boingo and uh, they used to, you know, do like skits and stuff, I think, years ago. And then they decided to make a band. And then, you know, Richard Elfman would make movies and all that kind of stuff. Danny Elfman scores a lot of the big films for Tim Burton and a slew of other directors. So uh, The Forbidden Zone, it's got uh, um, Susan Tyrell is in here and we're a big role. And she's tremendous in here as this uh, queen of this Forbidden Zone area, the fifth dimension or sixth dimension, I think it is actually. Um, and it's kind of like this warped Alice in Wonderland story, I guess, if you look at it at face value. And uh, geez, who's the guy? from uh the, the fantastic what's the what's the planet show of planet i can't remember it off the top of my head but every time i always forget his name uh i i feel like i don't want to cheat uh uh but i'm gonna have to i i just don't want to forget his name uh he's uh herve uh villashaz or how you say his name he, he pops up in a couple movies but he's a big part in this uh, it's like the second billing really so essentially what happens is a bunch of people get stuck in the forbidden zone more people go in there to help them to rescue them out of there lots of weird shenanigans and goofiness ensue a lot of weird rules in the forbidden zone like i don't even know how to go about this the music's really fun because obviously it's you know elfman the elfman's and oingo boingo putting all the music in there. Susan Tyrell steals the show as this absolutely domineering uh, person, and her relationship with uh, you know um, Velichez is, is also really good. And I, I feel like it's something really rare 
to see these two together and like the starring role. Joe Spinell has a role in here. One of, like I said, eight movies from 1980. You know, the heavy hitters from this year, of course, would be Maniac and Cruising and uh, Ninth Configuration. He's in all four of these movies. They're kind of rewatch here. Spinell was a very busy man. He has a very fun role as a, as a sailor. Uh, I will go leave it at that. But uh, like I said, it has like a weird raunchiness to it too. I don't know how to go about it. It has like sexual stuff in there and, and just the characters are so weird and off-putting at times where you're just like this might be too weird for its own good like half the movie to me is always too weird for its own good if that makes any sense and then like other times i'll be like but i i it's too weird to dislike at the same time like so like i always come out enjoy like liking it or or rating it fairly decent but it's like i don't know how much i enjoy it at times but uh, as far as the special features are concerned we have new introduction by director Richard Elfman. New Forbidden Zone theme, Richard Elfman beats Danny Elfman. Okay. And Danny Elfman is in here as the devil, um, which I believe he played on stage a lot when they were together. Original audio commentary with Elfman and writer-actor Matthew Bright. Uh, Matthew Bright, uh, you know, he would go on to direct some crazy movies like Freeway 2 and the Ted Bundy movie. Um, a look into Forbidden Zone, extensive behind-the-scenes documentary, original video into intro by Richard Elfman, outtakes and deleted scenes, reversible artwork, theatrical trailer, all that stuff stuff um so this movie i don't even know how to go about it here uh like i said it is just has to be seen to be believed um and i believe that's the same matthew bright like if you ever see matthew bright's movies and then see like he belongs working on the forbidden zone and that that's not an insult like his movies are wacky and weird and just kind of fit with this but uh like it, it's just uh, a weird movie at times like it's lighthearted and goofy but then it has like these weird twisted moments in there and a hell hell escape to a lot of crazy animation entered in there um, marcus cook is a big fan of this we did the secret top 10 spoiler this ended up on his list and i i don't blame him it's very quotable a lot of weird stuff here uh i don't even want to repeat any of the lines especially the ones that i remember but if you haven't seen forbidden zone or you're a huge fan of it and you're like well i'd be interested in seeing it colorized then i then i would check it out they have an old release for from MBD and they also there's an arrow release too that would be an import but I think that might be out of print but you can get the I think you probably still get the old MVD release as well um, but I know some people are completely against any director's cut or any alterations to a movie after it's been made but it is what it is right um, and Forbidden Zone um, uh, you're going in the sixth dimension yeah uh, I think that it's definitely worth checking out in those long line of weird ass musicals in the vein of Rocky Horror Shock Treatment Phantom of Paradise all those movies like it fits kind of in that kind of off the wall musical kind of deal and being in 1980 makes it another interesting kind of thing because 1980 was such an eclectic year of film and, and horror films and thrillers and just genre cult films in general just such a good weird wild year for sure everything was there Okay, the next one here is one that's it's quite popular among the 1980 film fans, and this is Fade to Black by Vinegar Syndrome. Super happy to have this one finally released on uh, on Blu-ray. It was uh, on DVD and VHS, but it was out of print for years, and everybody's always complaining, we want Fade to Black, we want Fade to Black. This stars Dennis Christopher. It also has a couple other familiar faces in here. Uh, Mickey Rourke is in here. So, jeez, uh, who else? I feel like there's somebody else that pops up in the movie that you'd recognize right off the bat. Oh, freaking Tim Thomerson in a very against type role, which I enjoyed seeing. I like Tim Thomerson, okay? I'm, I'm a full moon guys and a lot of Tim Domberson and stuff like that so okay what we have here is Dennis Christopher who is this strange boy he's in infatuate he's in love with film that's all he's obsessed about in fact he uses film to argue and kind of like 
insult people with his knowledge. Well, he'll say like, if he, somebody's mean to him, he'll just say, well, this and this and this, I bet you didn't know that. Like, it's such a strange thing. Like he relies so much on film for everything. So he works at this kind of like uh film, a film uh, advertising place at a very low position. His boss is terrible to him. He's always freaking out and yelling. Um, he's not a very good employee either. He kind of reminds me of Willard in some ways, you know, um, uh, geez, Bruce Glover and Willard, how you feel bad for Willard, but also Willard kind of sucks at, at his job. So you're like, well, I can kind of see yelling at Willard, but at the same time, you kind of feel bad for Willard and you're just like, I don't know how they go about this, but his boss is completely over the top. He works at Mickey Rourke, who's a complete jerk off. And when he goes home, he has to deal with his wheelchair bound, um, aunt, um, who just yells at him and belittles him and does all sorts of things to him and very domineering on him. Dennis Christopher's really solid in this. He, he, you know, he almost didn't want to do this movie he'd go on to be in stuff like it and django Unchained, but he had a, a big career beforehand too and some bigger movies what is it breaking away which i'm not familiar with he's it's like the running film and i think or the biking movie i can't 100 like i said i haven't seen it but i know it was a popular movie at the time california dreaming was another one he was in and i know brian sauer always talks about that on uh pure uh, just the disc and pure cinema i know he's a fan of that film so dennis christopher's really solid in this film like he has this, he has this character down pat. Like he, he's just so perfect. He has the movie posters around and like to think about all the kind of characters like that were like that from, you know, the time you had so many of these, um, horror movie obsessed or movie obsessed characters within films. And I think they always appeal to cinephiles that watch them. Like they can have a, have a connection to that character. If you look at even, and it happens in so many movies from monster squad to neon maniacs to deadly spawn, um, to Friday the 13th part four. And those are just horror movies that these characters have a wild obsession with horror films. And I think people kind of gravitate towards those characters and fade to black is just such a weird film because he is like, the, the protagonist, but he's also the killer. Like, and he, maybe he's the antagonist because we cut a, he, he follows him a lot throughout the entire movie, but we also cut to Tim Thomerson, who's kind of like this social worker that works at the police department. He's always butting heads. He wants to have this more human, humane approach to that kind of stuff, which, which is funny because so many people were calling for like, we need these kind of people to work more in the police department and be more like these psychologists and stuff to take care of these kind of mental problems instead of, you know, just beating the shit out of people all the time. Well, whatever. I, like maybe art editors rubbing off on me when he's on the show, but I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it's so funny, like how many, it's like people, this resonates, this resonates. It's like, it's because we have the same fucking problems we always have. You know, it's just a lot of human nature and a lot of the stuff that we've always argued about is the same. Like, you know what I mean? Like different approaches at different ways to help people. And like Tim Thomerson in this movie is that approach. You know, he's that character. He's that opposite side of the law, that different part of the law in here. Not a cop, but does some of the same kind of jobs as a cop. So he, he's on this other part of the story. But, like, the movie mainly focuses on Dennis Christopher as he becomes, like, after, of course, his mother dies, he kind of spirals out of control. And that happens a lot in these movies, you know, it happened to Ed Gein in real life. Uh, these kind of movies where we have these psychological horror films where we have Dennis Christopher, uh, you know, and he spirals out of control. Um and every time he kills someone, he uses movie quotes. He becomes, you know, Cody Jarrett um, from White Heat or or Dracula or a, the mummy. And he just becomes these characters and he torments his people that treated him horribly. 
you know, again, another thing like that is the pit. You know, the character is treated horribly, so he kills all the people that treated him horribly. Uh, so the revenge aspect here. But it, it plays into a certain realism here. So, of course, he starts to lash out against all the people that caused him trouble. But he's infatuated with Marilyn Monroe. And earlier in the film, a woman who is attempt, uh, trying to be an actress who looks like her showed some kindness to him. So he's been infatuated, obsessed with her. And so, like, we have all these story elements over time, and Dennis Christopher, um, he just, he steals the show. He's so good in it, and it's such a weird, like, layered performance. When he argues with characters and he uses Spitz movie now, he's like, I bet you didn't know that. It's just like, dude, like, where, oh my god, right? Like, it's like the idea, like, and I know that's like something for, like, film fans. It's very hard to want to talk about anything besides film. So it's like that fitting in and not just bringing up something that no one else gives a shit about or no one else talks about, you know, that weird anti-social social behavior that film fans have. But it's like it's also funny, like, because like a lot of people would take this as the film fan being obsessed with film. It's dangerous. It affected his mind. But like, I don't see that here. You know, Dennis Christopher obviously had the mental problems in, in his life and everything. But uh, yeah, so like I said, he picks these characters off in really good ways, and it ends in a classic way that reflects a classic movie. Um, but yeah, uh, it has some gore, gore in here, here and there, um, you know, with the Dracula scene, and um, it's, it's well made too, like the suspense, all that stuff. Um, so like, I don't want to spoil absolutely everything about the movie, but uh, it's just one that has a lot of a lot of fans for good reason. I'll, I'll leave it at that for good reason. As far as the special features are concerned, we have a commentary track with lead actor Dennis Christopher, a commentary track with Hysteria continues historical commentary track with film historians amanda reyes and bill ackerman really should have listened to these commentary tracks um bill ackerman has a podcast called uh supporting characters which is really good and interesting living and dying for the movies an interview with lead actor dennis christopher i love that interview talking about how he didn't want to do it at first and all that stuff so he heroes an interview with executive producer erwin yabans and yabans was behind Halloween. And I liked listening to him talk too. Very interesting how he made the money and took the chance, all that kind of stuff. Taking the hints in an interview with special effects artist Wayne uh, Bochamp. Uh, shiny quality interview with actress Marcy Barkin. Experimenting with sound interview with composer Craig Savan. Finishing the story in an interview with editor Barbara uh, Pokraz. A brush with darkness interview with stylist Patricia Brunch. Audio interview with lead actress Linda Kerridge. And still gallery original theatrical trailer. It looks phenomenal. It sounds great. Um... And uh, and it's just a really cool movie. Nice slipcover. I know everybody loves slipcovers. But, uh, yeah, check out Fade to Black. I really recommend checking it out. It's, it's good stuff, a good release for Vinegar Syndrome. And uh, it's one that, if you haven't seen, I, I think it could be... It, it's definitely one that could make somebody's top ten. Uh, definitely, I don't want to say hidden gem, but maybe one that's a little underrated when you compare it to a lot of the other 1980 movies. I, I like it a lot, but I don't know how much... You know, a top 25, very good chance. Top ten, not likely. Speaking of one that uh, is not likely to make a top 10, but very likely to make a top 25, is The Unseen, directed by Danny Steinman. And I had seen this years ago. I, I know I had, uh, had checked this one out, and I, I couldn't remember too much about it. I remembered the vent play, because this ended up on a somebody's secret top 10. Doing 1980, I was very happy to rewatch The Unseen. So this stars um, the lead actress in here was at Barbara Bach. You know, I know her from a couple of the Sergio Martino movies. She's in a Sergio Martino. I think Bill, Big Alligator River is the one she's in, but I believe she was uh, also in a Bond movie, if I'm not mistaken. Bond is not my strong point here. Um, I know Cindy Lassick. 
Sidney Elastic is in this movie, and he's tremendous. And uh, he's in stuff like One for the Cuckoo's Nest, Alligator, also from 1980, Carrie from 76, and and uh, some other movies. He, the dude's just a character actor. He's in a bunch of stuff. And then we also have, um, geez, who is the actor that's slipping my mind here? Stephen Frust, who uh, was in stuff like uh, Dream, uh, what the hell is the one, uh, Dream Team with uh, Michael Keaton. And he's more of a comedic actor, and his performance in this is real off-putting i'll leave it at off-putting so we have on scene um here um and so basically this is a very simple story kind of almost two different things going on here barbara bach is a reporter she's supposed to go to this big kind i don't remember it's like a big celebration in this small town and like uh she gets there and she she brings her crew along with her that also seem to be very good friends of hers and they're completely sold out of rooms and hotels and somebody booked her wrong and they're screwed so she stops off at this uh, kind of like low little small museum with cindy lassick there and their interactions and they start talking and Eventually, they work it out. He's like, well, you know, you could stay with me and my wife. Um, and when they get there to stay, the wife is very strange. She's very meek. She's very quiet. And there's just something not right about them. There's not something not right about the house. And there's something in the fucking basement. And it's using the the vents and all this kind of stuff. And it, it did remind me, so spoiler here, it did remind me of some other slashers. Like we have House on Sorority Row, which came out a few years later, where there's something in the fucking, you know, some person in the house that shouldn't be there. And they're, they're, they're all messed up. Up and, and even stuff like humongous, which is something kind of some sort of you know deformed person. And of course, we know the biggest deformed kind of killer of the 80s is you know Jason Voorhees, but I, it doesn't really fit in line with that stuff. So, um, like we kind of cut back with Barbara Bach and her her uh, boyfriend who they're getting a breakup and everything like that. We have some real nasty stuff to happen amongst them, and like we have that kind of drama. But some of the characters are, are kind of going back to the house alone, and they're encountering the thing that's in the vent. But it's also not just that. It's not just something that's not supposed to be there. This this thing is a product of uh, something awful. And we get to see what that awful is and how they were created and all this kind of stuff. And every time they kind of pull back a layer of it, it's, it's more disturbing and more screwed up. And it's the, the suspense is the, the shots, how it's created. The suspense is created. Well, the kills are created well. And, you know, Danny Steinman, he directed only three kind of horror exploitation films and maybe a porno as well, I believe. But he did, of course, The Unseen, which I'm talking about now. Um, he did Savage Streets with Linda Blair and John Vernon, which is a good movie, really cool movie, revenge movie. And of course he did Friday 13th part five, which is one of the most underrated Friday 13th in my book. I mean, it's not J- who gives a shit, man? Who gives a shit if it's not Jason? I mean, what are we six, six years old? That's how I feel when people complain about kind of stuff. That's just me personally. But, um, so, so this one, I, I was really impressed with it. And there's like the reveal, like halfway through this movie and like not even halfway, like, and it's just told like it's Cindy Lassick just sitting there and like, you hear everything that's going on and you start to hear like what happened. And you're just like, this is fucked. This is absolutely fucked. And then you realize why one of the other characters is that way. And then you realize one of the other characters is that way. And you're like, oh boy, man. And we have that final reveal in the cellar. Like I, I seen some reviews where people were like that, that was annoying. I didn't care for that. And I could see some people saying that's just downright offensive, but I was actually watching it. And I was like, this works really well. This is really bothering me. I think the performance is, is good. Like, I, I think it's like, like my friend said, they watched this and they said it reminded them of something like nothing but trouble. We're not allowed in the house, but it's like, the grounded version of that where you're just like fuck like the grounded version of nothing but trouble is really bothersome right those characters are like we're bow, bow, we're, we're, devil. we're not allowed in the house so basically it's that character but grounded 
And, like, we have this kind of, like, Sydney Lastic completely on fucking hinged. If you thought Charlie Cheswick from Love of the Cuckoo's Nest had problems, boy, you don't know nothing. This guy has some major fucking problems. But uh, I just thought it was well done. It's good, uh, kind of visual, kind of, like, transitions, too. Uh, there is some animal violence in here, but I bring that up because one of the visual transitions is uh, very much so that event closes on somebody. Well, a head of a chicken gets off, uh, gets knocked off. And so there's a couple of those. That, anyways, I thought this was underrated. I was very impressed with it. I did not think I would like it this much, but I'm a sucker for character actors and uh, the, the the husband and wife in this do an amazing job. They do a great job in here. Barbara Bach does a good job as the final girl. Everybody in here does a solid job. Felt bad for the people when they were killed. It's not a high body count movie, but it is, uh, it's got a little grittiness to it, a little dirt that I think works really well on it. So that's the unseen. As far as the special features are concerned, I didn't watch any because I'm a jerk. But we have the Katrina Nightmare Theater, of course, the Cat's Eyes uh, on-camera interview with producer Tony Unger, audio comments of Tony Unger and Stephen Frust. They actually got Stephen Frust down there. That's cool. On-camera interview with Stephen Frust, Doug Barr, Craig Reardon, Tom Berman, makeup test slides, sketches of behind-the-scenes stills from Craig Reardon's personal collection. And uh, it says directed by Peter uh, Fogley, but I believe that's because... Um, Denny Steinman didn't want his name on this product. I'm not, um, I'm not 100% sure why he was unhappy with it or the details, but I think it's a good movie. Uh, maybe it would have been better if Steinman got his way. I don't know. We will never know, probably. Steinman's unfortunately passed, and I doubt they're going to dig out all the elements of Unseen and be like, we found elements. We're going to put Danny Steinman's director's cut of the Unseen back together, and people will be like, it's not Friday the 13th movie. I don't care. Um, or it's not, you know, it's just got, I just, I mean, Vinegar Syndrome would do something like that, and we'd be, or Arrow, and we'd be very excited, but it's just, I just don't see it. I, and I don't know much about what happened to the movie or anything like that, the history of it, but it's a good film. I was very happy with it. Okay, the next up is a movie that I, I, I'm sure I have like one of those cheapy discs around because the movie's never properly been released. It's The Funeral Home by William Fruit, um, the Canadian director. And this one did feel very Canadian, not as an insult or anything like that. I know everybody at 22 Shots thinks I hate Canada or something. Um, but William Fruit is a good genre director. He did stuff like um, Spasms and Death Weekend and Killer Party. Um, I feel like he's a little underrated, honestly. And all his movies that I've seen are pretty solid to good. You know, I don't think he really directs horrible things films so funeral home right away the first five minutes of this movie I, I like i said i probably do have a copy of it somewhere or on like the bargain disc because it was a movie that's never really had a great release i don't know what's up with it so it's almost like they're like gray market releases on every release of funeral home unless it's a vhs you know what i do think i have a vhs of funeral home i should pull that out uh i'll show it in the, the update if i have one i think i do um so it was a paragon was it a paragon tape not that anyone gives a shit anymore uh but so uh right in the beginning of the movie about five minutes in i was like man you know what i don't know why but this girl getting out of this the hitchhiking getting out of there walking to the town with this music playing and it just feels reminds me of bring me the head of alfredo garcia reminds me of sam peckinpah then it was popped up composer jerry fielding i was like ah shit <laughs> it's the guy with all the peckinpah scores i'm very cool very cool and then like I, i'm looking through it and like we have the grandma so this one this girl's showing back up to this uh, big old house uh, to meet her grandma. I don't remember why she's going back 100%. But uh, and her grandma is actually played by the... the um the grandma from Dirty Work, which I, I thought was great. I was like, that lady looks exactly the same for she did Dirty Work from like 95. Um, but basically, you guys uh, know the line where uh, Norm is like, 
uh, the the Dharma Greg lit girl is like, you really thought my grandma was a drug dealer? He's like, no, I thought she was a whore. Uh, yeah, that that it's that grandma. So she's basically in this film as she runs this. It used to be a funeral parlor. It's no longer a funeral parlor. They're turning into like a, a bed and breakfast stay for the weekend, and they're getting guests in there. She's really leery about it, and she's like, her husband's disappeared years ago, and she's very upset about the whole situation. She keeps like quoting her husband. He would never like this. He would never allow this. And she like idolizes him. She like puts him on this pedestal. And like uh, the, the the granddaughter is, you know, she just wants to go out and like hang out with her friends and all this kind of stuff. But uh, fairly quickly, you know, like after I don't even know it's fairly quickly. It's just a term I use. But it, the, I guess the the 1980 time, the the right pacing, I guess for 1980. Um, so people at this hotel end up dead. And within like five, you know exactly what's going on. You're like, well, they they point out that maybe the grandma's husband is still alive and he's down there and like and stuff. And we get flashes of him and like he's not really the saint that she makes him out to be and all this shit. So you're like, oh, we're going in that route. And then you're like, not really, because it's obvious right off the bat because we've all seen Psycho and I don't want to spoil this and stuff like that. We've all been to that point. We've all seen Psycho. We all know that that story arc or that twist, and it's very much obviously that. Um, so uh, people started ending up dead, and a couple of the kills are actually really graphic. And I don't mean graphic. I won't say that. That's the misuse. I would say very suspenseful and well done. And uh, uh, when when a couple of the characters are actually found, their bodies are found in a river. I thought that was really creepy. Swimming under the water and having one of the bodies in the weeds, the seaweeds kind of be there. I thought that was really effective. So like all that kind of stuff is really good. There's some small town humor to it. Small town charm as well. Comparative to the Hearst, which is also a 1980 movie. I think that's a small town charm in Funeral Home is better. Actually, I think that the acting in Funeral Home is a little bit, I don't know, more grounded. They're, they're very comparable, if that makes any sense. I would put Funeral Home and The Hearst a little bit better than Mortuary. If anybody's seen that one, I don't want to bring that up because those movies all kind of remind me of each other because of the whole weird funeral parlor stuff. Funeral names in it, like dead kind of stuff, you know. Mortuary, Funeral Home, The Hearst. So, like... um Anyways, as the movie progresses, you kind of get this obvious reveal, but you get the bodies start to pile up. And, and I really like this one moment where this guest kind of has this huge outpouring and he just says all this stuff to her. Where, and like, you're like, oh, wow, that's really you get the entire history of what happened and everything like that. And I will compare this to another movie. I think it's very much like 1978's Trauma. If anybody's seen that movie, I think it's a Spanish film. It's in the uh, Forgotten Giallo box set. Um, what number? Volume three or something like that from Vinegar Syndrome. Very good film uh very much about this kind of uh it's 78 76 something like that where this woman runs this kind of bed and breakfast and she's got her crippled husband upstairs it's it's actually the same movie in a lot of ways <laughs> it's the same fucking movie i think that one's a little better actually but uh anyways funeral home uh a solid kind of horror film by william fruit does have some nice little uh atmosphere too especially in the basement of the funeral home so check it out uh yeah it, it's good stuff it's not great stuff it's just good stuff Okay, uh, the next one up is from uh, legendary uh, director Jean Roland, and this is from the Redemption line. This is Night of the Hunted, starring uh, Bridget uh, LaHaye. How do you say her name, LaHaye? Anyway, she's having like a resurgence as far as like discs are concerned because uh, Severn's putting out a couple of her movies. They got released, uh, Faceless and uh, The Female Executioner. So yeah, she's she's an uh, adult actress. She pops up later on in films like Calvair, but she had a, she had a good career in genre films as well. 
and uh, she's got an amazing look to her, very unique look, um, and just like kind of captivating look. So Night of the Hunted is kind of very typical John Roland, I would say, from what I've seen. All his movies are good to great. Um, again, I've never really hated any of them, except possibly Zombie Lake, but that's been years. So uh, essentially what we have here in the very beginning of the film, uh, Bridget LaHaye, La um, I'm always going to mispronounce her name, she's running through the woods, and she's very she's uh, very underdressed and, confu- and confused, and she runs into this guy, and the guy doesn't know what's going on, and she says, please help me take me away from here um and he starts to give her a ride but then we realize there's another person running behind her that's completely naked and she's screaming for her and as these two leave she ends up like they go to the city and she's like well i'm going to take you to the hospital she's like don't take me to the hospital and she almost starts forgetting everything that they already had so like her memory is very short term and like a typical weird creep from the 80, 1980 movies, he has sex with her, you know, she has no memory, she can't remember anything, he's just like, let's have sex with her, let's take advantage of this woman, that's very much what happens, but hey, you know, John Roland's not going to shy away from adding a sex scene in his movies, in fact, there were some uh, hardcore or longer sex scenes that were cut down, because they thought they might have to have an X-rated version of the movie, so uh, soon enough, we realize that she is an escape mental patient, um, not necessarily a mental patient, but she escaped from this special hospital, and there's these two kind of doctors that are running the place they're not really on the level seemingly and they end up they end up back at this place and we meet a whole group of people that are suffering from the same thing she's suffering from and it goes into all their characters and we have a couple sex scenes and a bunch of murders and everybody seems to have that kind of disease from the crazies except with memory loss at the same time and they all kind of go at the same level and and at the end it gets really dark and real very 1980 1970s nihilistic kind of stuff going on and there's a real wonderful beautiful shot of kind of two characters sharing a, a walk of doom, I guess I, what I will call it. But uh, no, it, it got really dark and really kind of crazy at, at, at points. Um, it's well shot, of course. It's Sean Roland. It's beautiful looking. It's got a lot of good looking people in it, so it's in that aspect. Um, nothing really too negative about it. It does start off a little slow, but by the end it, it does have some really good delivering moments and stuff like that. So, slow start, but it delivers the goods, and it's worth watching. All I mean, and you should know what you're getting yourself into when you pop in a Jean Roland movie. Um, like Some of them, I think, are absolutely amazing like when you get living dead girl i was just completely infatuated with that and some other ones that i really liked like grapes of death and fascination like so like most of his movies they win me over i like them this one i liked i didn't absolutely adore it but uh maybe maybe a lot in the line of shiver of the vampire or something like that from 1970 i think that one might be a little little better maybe i don't know both of them are good and this one i maybe would watch on you know a rewatch and it would it would go up the list a little better but I've been watching a lot of movies that kind of feel in this vein like so like um, from 1970 there's a movie called The Females or Female Cannibals or something like that The Cannibals which reminded me a little bit about this there's also another one um, that Severn put out called Shock Treatment not to be confused with the sequel not an equal prequel to re, uh, sequel to whatever to Rocky or Picture Show it's it's so movie where it has like this kind of host- like like weird kind of um, like I don't like it's not a hospital but it's a resort kind of horror and the people are doing strange things there and it's also reminds me a lot of the movie that I'm going to talk about after this Night of Death so also a French film so I like the French idea of like these institutional places or these these medical fields that are really doing this dirty weird stuff and there's like these reveals of sick people and everything like that kind of feels very similar at the time I feel like that you know they all kind of have that same kind of thing going on but this is uh, Night of the Hunted uh it's a good John Roland movie. Check it out if it sounds like it's up your alley. Not too many special features on this. Maybe a brief discussion with John Roland himself.
Okay, the next one here is Night of Death. And I'm going to mispronounce this director's name. It's like uh, Raphael uh, Delapard. And uh, I'd always heard good things about this. Uh, this is from Black Cat. Um, I don't think I can show the back here. It has some nudity on there. If you guys uh, are not familiar with that company, um, they, they release a lot of stuff. Like uh, they're a French company. They release like the track and some stuff that gets released here. But they have 4Ks and stuff. So so this one, uh, it was initially released in the States from Synapse D. Uh, on DVD, which I never did watch. I had the DVD, of course. I didn't watch the damn thing. So I was like, well, 1980, this is one that's got a good reputation. I've always wanted to watch it. So let's pop in this Blu-ray. Um, yeah, and, and it's a gorgeous-looking movie. Again, like I said, it's very similar to Night of the Hunted, um, but I think it's better than Night of the Hunted, and I think it's a little better than Shock Treatment, too, the other French film that has that kind of thing. So what we have here is in the very beginning of the film, we have this uh, girl who's convinced to take this job by her boyfriend, and it's this. Uh, she's kind of like a nurse at this old folks' home, but it's a very strange, isolated old folks' home run by this kind of very. Um like, I don't know, I would say cold and mean, uh, like kind of headmaster nurse or whatever she is. I'm just not a nurse. She runs the place. And there's about seven patients there. They're all old. They're all very eccentric and weird and very stuck in their ways. Like we have the one guy who's always talking about the revolution. And then we have the guy who's always playing practical jokes and being weird. And we have the cuddler. And then we have some of the, uh, like strange, like women that are all going around as well. So like, uh, just a group of them. And of course we have the strangest character of them all the like kind of the groundskeeper who says, would you marry a man like me um so she shows up and at first there's a she shows up a day early and there's another nurse there and she's like oh well i guess and the nurse is a little dumbfounded why is there somebody else there and they're like you're a day early and then of course we kind of know where this is going right um that nurse is killed that same night or disappears mysteriously that same night. She starts, she starts to get a little bit suspicious right off the bat. And every night these old folks come down and they go to some special kind of uh, dinner. I'll leave it at that. Um, and it doesn't really take long to figure out what's going on here. Um, uh, I mean, I feel like everybody, I, I even just reading the plot or looking it up, I think you know the plot, but it, it's, it's, it's that kind of weird kind of rare thing where like old people are actually the scary characters in the movie. Think like whole bodies or, or the killer, uh, homebodies is one that comes to mind and another one comes to mind is next of kin from the australian film also that was put out by Severin. i talked about it i think have i talked about any seven releases this week i feel like i always talk about a seven release here or there but uh yeah so that's uh next of kin so like old folks as kind of like the predominantly um antagonists of the film so she starts to catch on, and if that's not enough craziness, there's a backdrop of a serial killer called the Golden Needle or something like that who who uses a needle to attack women and leaves them. So she's starting to think that this caretaker might be the killer, but she starts to dig deeper and she unveils something even more sinister and crazy and supernatural in that aspect, and science gone crazy, science gone run amok and people just old people just being too afraid to die right so yeah there's a, there's a couple of good gore gags in here like there's a actual uh, pulling out of a heart and stuff and when the when it picks up it, it does get a little bit gory and all that kind of stuff but for the most part it's just kind of a well-made suspenseful kind of horror film with uh you know good acting and weird characters and eccentric strange people you know kind of where it's going like i don't think any of the twists were very surprising or reveals or anything like that the very ending again uh we're feeling very 1970s here because it's very downbeat and very dark it looks spectacular it's a beautiful looking movie it's a well-made movie so like no complaints there there are some special features on here as well but i cannot read french uh it looks like some interviews with the director and possibly the lead actress in the film there is some nudity as well um 
and, and they're gorgeous women in here. Um, you know, much more gorgeous women than men in this one. We have a lot of old people, so <laughs> and not that old people can't be gorgeous, but uh, hey. Uh, anyways, uh, that is Night of Death. Check it out if it sounds like it's up your alley. Be nice if you know Vinegar Syndrome or Arrow or Severin pick this one up for stateside release. I know a lot of people don't want to you know, pick up uh, imports or anything like that. Let me check if it is region locked. I'm not seeing any region lock on the disc itself. Um, uh, I played it. I don't remember if I played it in the main one. I could not. I could not. I played, but the sound was weird, so I had to put it in my region free player, actually. So, there, yeah. Anyways, that is Night of Death by the Black Cat. It's actually the French pronunciation of that. So, anyways, I, I'll, I'll definitely watch some more of their releases because they do a good job. Hey, guys, what's up? We're here for Blind Spot. This is your pick. And you pick 1960. Little Shop of Horrors. Neither of us has seen this, surprisingly. No. I, and I, did I pick a Little Shop of Horrors for you, or did you pick you know, the 86 one for yourself? I feel like I picked it for myself. Yeah, but that, that's a classic movie. I had seen that one. So I've always wanted to see the 1961, directed by Roger Corman, produced by Roger Corman. It's got Dick Miller in it, and, of course, um, Jack Nicholson has a tiny little role in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know the two main actors in, in this one. They don't really I, – I didn't know them very much. I'm, maybe if I've seen them, but it didn't – didn't register also uh the mother in here is tremendous so so essentially it's the same plot as the 86 version except it's not a musical mm-hmm. we have uh what is his name uh, seymour craig boing or whatever the fuck his weird uh, name I think is it's krill boing yeah krem or krell 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 boing. he works at this flower shop in the slums and essentially he kind of made this plant by mixing a couple plants it's a very bizarre plant and uh, a patron of this flower plant uh, saves Seymour's job by telling the boss, um, what is it, Mush, Mushkin, that uh, mo- weird, strange plants kind of bring in, you know, clientele. Mm-hmm. So he brings this plant in, and it takes a while for him to figure out that this thing needs blood. It's right. a cross between different Venus flytraps and stuff of that that similar na- nature. And what happens, what ensues is, of course, the plant getting, you know, fed and uh, shenanigans a couple different things that the uh, original doesn't have i'm at the the 86 version this mm-hmm. is the original is like the introduction of a couple characters like the mother is really a big part she's very funny and um, hypochondriac, hypochondriac and then it also it kind of puts the dentist as a very small kind of smaller character right so he's not um, um like the boyfriend to yeah. audrey on um, the uh the guy that comes in the store that eats plants is uh, Dick Miller. He, I don't think he's in the musical, no. but he does have like his roles transferred to uh, somebody else that just has like a throwaway line. Um, That's the Paul Dooley and uh, and uh, Jim Belushi kind of role, I believe. Yeah, like his be. but Dick Miller is less. Uh... I don't want to say evil, but he is. I mean, he's not a bad guy. He's just right. a weird guy. But it's a it's an ongoing gag with him just constantly eating plants, which is very funny. Right, and then it does follow like. Like two police officers that are trying to solve the case of all the missing people slash murdered people, and that's by far the worst, weakest part of the movie. And it right. seems like definitely something that was kind of patched the film together. But it's such a trope of the time. If you right. watch any of the um, Herschel Gordon Lewis movies, they all have the forced police uh, detective angle in there. Almost everyone, and they're done in kind of like a dragnet style, yeah, to to extreme parody. This movie is almost very much a parody. It's it's definitely parodying on horror tropes and stuff like that but they have a lot of fun with it mushkin has a bigger role in this i would say and he is almost almost as good as vincent gardenia or just as good but in a right. different way he, yeah he, he's different i mean he really plays into like the like the immigrant stereotype um he 
he mispronounces a lot of words. Um, like I, I don't know. He, he to me, uh, Mushnik is my favorite character in it. Um, he, he also lasts throughout the entire movie as opposed to uh, getting picked off in about the right. third act, the beginning of the third act. Um, the plan in here is pretty cool for the time. Yeah, he's pretty neat. Um, his voice is obvious. His voice makes me laugh because mm-hmm. it's so jarring, and at first you're just like, "This is so cheap." The movie does kind of wear its cheapness on its sleeve. Like it's definitely, it's not like trying to hide its cheapness. I think it kind of just was like, "Eh, we're not going to be able to cover this up." I feel right. like it knows because it, it is a comedy, but it's not, and it, and it does accomplish a lot with probably the small budget it had. It was shot in what like few days or I something think two like, days or something two like days that. yeah so that's, that's crazy mm-hmm. um but nicholson is fine in it uh, it's not like uh, nicholson's crowning achievement it's a very early role for him um and he plays the sadist kind of a uh, dentist patient um no the the masochist dentist patient yeah but uh yeah i really enjoyed it i don't have that much to say about it i love um uh, the, the reveal of the plant's very weird and different too i do think that the the overall story for the 86 one is better um but I, the idea of taking like a cheap little B movie and turning it into this like million dollar musical is very fun to me. Yeah, I mean, it. I think it. I think I do like the eighties one better. Um, it, it's also a musical, so I'm prejudiced against that. But no, this is it's for the most part like just what the eighties one is. Like, like there isn't a whole lot that's changed. Um, it's it's very. I think. It's pretty funny. It has like decent comedy in it, and it just I laughed that, a that's lot it. actually. Right, there's like a lot of like throwaway lines that like people say like I don't know if they're ad lib or what. Um, the mother in in particular, the mother is basically her all her food is like medicine, medicine and um, it, it's just it's a little bit different. It doesn't have like I think the large scope that the oh, remakes not. end up having. Um, and. Yeah, maybe a darker ending, maybe not so dark ending. The, I think the the problem of like how it ends with like the chase scene is like again, a little bit on the weak uh, side. Again, the police procedural stuff is the weakest part of the movie right. and holds it back. But it's so much a product of its time; it's kind of hard to get away from it. Oh, um, the, um, there is the uh, the funeral home owner who's always coming in because somebody's always dying, and she's asking for. Uh, like free like plant, the, free, free plants discount on flowers. I feel like she actually, uh, she's the funeral owner. I thought she was just having nephews and nieces dying. Is no, she, she I, well, I think she's the uh, the funeral parlor. She does say that. Like all the yeah. people that die are related. Like to she her. knows That's them. the gag. Well, but there's also like, because um, it's such a throwaway line. It's, it's like one of the officers was a. Uh, was talking about like what happened the night prior. And it's like, oh, a kid died playing with matches. Like. Oh yeah, and the other officer's like, "Oh yeah, sorry about your son," and he's like, "Yeah, that's the brakes." And then it shuts or switches over to the to the plant shop and the um, funeral parlor director. She she says the same thing, "Sorry about your son," and he's like, "Yeah, that's the brakes." <laughs> a lot of gags like that. Um, you want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. John Stanley's Creatures features Little Shop of Horrors, four out of five stars. Producer director Roger Corman's macabre comedy parodies horror monster flicks with a vengeance. Jonathan Hayes is in a daze as Seymour Craigboing 
a flower shop clerk who raises a giant plant that repeatedly burps. Feed me. I'm hungry. Seymour does. Human food. Belch. Mel Wells is the shop owner. Gravis Moochkin. Jackie Joseph is the love interest, and Dick Miller is a customer. Jack Nicholson has a crazy cameo in a dentist chair. Scripted as The Passionate People Eater by Charles Griffin, who wrote the story around a set Corman had seen in a studio. The film developed a cult following and became a stage musical, and then was remade as a film in 1986. This 1960 version is available in home video in a colorized edition. That's all it says. And we watched uh, a little bit of both. The colorized looked pretty cool. Yeah, I think the ones that we found on like streaming, like the quality was just really. Yeah, I pulled poor. out my old Legend DVD that uh, I think I, I think it was a Miramax owned it, mm-hmm. and like even like like the sound was a little bit rough. Um, but when we put in the colorized DVD or whatever, there was both versions on the DVD. Yeah, I had both versions, but the sound was better much than any better. of the HD prints online. Yeah, that you could rent and stuff. They were all mostly standard def, I think. So I got um, John Stanley, uh, James O'Neill, tear on tape, tear on tape. Um. The Little Shop of Horrors, three and a half out of four stars, 1960. The best two-day movie ever made. One rainy weekend, Corman and company decided to slap together this robust black comedy monster movie. And the result is one of the funniest movies ever made. Hayes is Seymour Crowboyne, the dotish apprentice in a skid row flower shop. Lots plants cheap, reads the sign. Who creates a hybrid plan from a Venus flytrap. Unfortunately, Audrey Jr., named for his girlfriend Joseph, develops a taste for human blood. Feed me, it demands, leading poor Seymour into a string of klutzy murders. Great dialogue. You're another Luther Glendale. Cousin impressed Joseph while shop owner Wells, when asked if Audrey Jr. has the scientific name, comments, yes, of course, but who could denounce it, is provided by script. Charles B. Griffith and the classic performances are contributed by Wells Miller as a flower-eating customer and Nicholson in a legendary cameo as a masochistic dental patient Wilbur Force Oh God, he cries when Hayes disguised as a dentist stops drilling Don't Stop Now A great, incredibly cheap classic later adapted into the Off-Broadway musical which itself was filmed in 1986 aka The Passionate People Eater That is Literally one of the giant end. run-on sentence. That is, that's that kind of shit drives me crazy. Yeah, I'm like, 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 decent buck, decent guy. That 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 was a poorly written review. <laughs> that's not why a single I. Period. That's why, I like, literally in all my reviews, I had run-on sentences because it feels right. But then I just started breaking them up right. just because I had to for my own sanity when I used to write reviews. I'm like, you're switching. Now. You talk about. Oh, well. Anyways, new thought, new sentence. Sometimes. Sometimes. New idea, new, new paragraph. Idea. Uh, but anyways, I enjoy it. Um, it. It's like a three and a half, a four star movie. It, it's But 1960, like I said, is a crazy year. Also, you have mm-hmm. Eyes Without a Face, Psycho, Peeping Tom, all in the same year. That's, that's kind of crazy to think that Psycho and Little Shop of Horrors are technically competing with each other. I mean, is this movie competing with anything? No, 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 no. I mean, it's not. But I'm just saying, if you were to like say right. your favorite movies yeah. of the year, there's definitely like three or four movies that are are pretty fun, they're different. And I feel great. like I would, you know, I don't know 1960 movies, but, but I, would, I would put this up there. Um, I I did like it. It's, you know, I I think I do like the 80s version better. But I think so this too. one is is funny. It just does kind of fizzle out in the end. Like I, I'd give it like a three, three and a half. Around there, yeah, it, it's fun. It, it'd be fun to watch on a rainy day, which I think we did. I, I would recommend anybody watching this. This is well, a very, this watch a very it, fun yeah. movie, and, and of the, the killer plant films, 
It's it sits up there at the top. Oh, it does. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you got the two little shop of horrors. You got what? Uh, Day of the Triffids. Um, the ruins. There's a couple others. We went through a bunch of them when we did the the um, Day yeah, of the Triffids. We, we had did a, quite a, a bit. slew of them. Um, so I don't know. What do you want to watch next week? I can. We can do a 1980 movie. We can do a Clockwork Orange. Oh, we can do Clockwork cute. Orange. We can do The Fog, Altered States. It's up to you. It's an Altered States to video game where you eat all the orbs. It's and... Altered Beast. We already we did this joke. Um, it's not a joke. Altered States is directed by Ken Russell, who did The Devils. Mm. And it has William Hurt in it. It's a very strange film. I don't know. You pick. It's your pick, anyway. Yeah, but I'm giving you a choice. I'm I get a, a choice. choice. So I don't mind if we want. I got the 4K of Clockwork Orange now. How, how long is Clockwork Orange? Probably two and a half hours. I'm going to go look at this box. Two of new and a half hours. All right, I'm looking at this box of new stuff I got. New stuff. Um, I don't know. This stuff is it's new stuff. <laughs> you can't gonna... be showing all your new stuff. Well, they're going to see it anyways in the, in the, in the oh. future. I don't know. What, what what company would you want to watch? What about Death Game, released by Grindhouse Video? I've never no, let's just it. watch. let's just watch Clockwork Orange. Okay, Clockwork <laughs> Orange next week. Okay. And hopefully he'll prove that you still have some decent taste after disliking The Shining. What was the other one you disliked? Goodfellas. Yeah, yeah. I didn't dislike Goodfellas. Like, it was okay. It's okay. I'm going to get the papers. Get the papers. <laughs> terrible, terrible movie. All right, guys, let's get into these questions, comments, concerns, all that stuff. Um, and also, if you're wondering why that, that there's a good chance that that uh, the um, blind spot might have actually just been all audio with like some clips that I added in because, uh, yeah, I'm an idiot. And I was like half asleep when I put that disc in and I ended up deleting the video footage. And I just was like, do I want to pay $100 to get the recovery footage? Not really. And uh, might not have time to reshoot that. So you might just have audio with, you know, the trailer and all that kind of good stuff. So I apologize again for that. Um, anyways, Ken Coakley. These, uh, my question last week was an actor and director you would love to see work together. Ken Coakley, these two work together twice, but Ed Harris is so grateful to George Romero for giving him his big break that he was planning to produce and star in a Western based on a book, Writers of the Purple Sage, and was going to hire Romero to the direct. That obviously fell through. If you want to get into fantasy, I would say Tom Savini and Lon Chaney Jr. When I met David Hess at Rock and Shock, he told me that Sergio Leone was working on a Civil War epic and cast Hess in some capacity. I loved every Sergio Leone movie I've ever seen, so it's disappointing that Leone died so young. Same for Hess, because he was really cool. Yeah, Hess was awesome. I got to meet David Hess. Very cool. Very friendly. Very down-to-earth. Petri uh, Lampella, my favorite, my two favorite genres have always been horror and sci-fi and mobster movies as a genre has never felt appealing to me. But when I first saw Goodfellas on TV, I was totally hooked. It's definitely in my top 10 movies of all time. I, if I imagine how Joker would be in real life, it would be Joe Pesci and Goodfellas. D. Gulag, that David Hess scream always gets me. Love it. Um, Tempo Tapas, I don't know if you go to the theater or if you only watch at home, but if you're looking for something to see on the big screen, I saw Cronenberg's latest, Crimes of the Future, yesterday, and it's pretty wild. It's a welcome return to his body horror days like dead ringers and the brute a guy in the main theater walked out in the middle and i haven't seen that in quite some time uzi suicide 666 perversion story is so damn good such a unique feel to it it also shows fulci's range as a director he could do anything Fulci lives, man. Fulci lives. Joe Carroll, nice show as always. Um, I recently watched Dead Girl on film. It starts off just as you'd expect, but then it turns into classic Paul and Supernatural stuff. It's okay, but in this case, I didn't like it that much. Looking forward to Septic now. Question of the week. Um, he answers Timo uh, Tajanto, um, you know, the guys who do all those crazy movies, plus Anthony Wong. Oh, that would be so awesome. Moe's Brothers Ebola Syndrome. Very cool. 
Guillermo del Toro plus Emma Watson. Guillermo del Toro's Alice in Wonderland. Very cool. Uh, RB Tarantino is a big fan of Eastwood, so I'm surprised he never put him in one of his movies, or maybe he tried and Eastwood declined. Nick Moore, a director plus actor combo. I would give have given an arm and a leg for Wes Craven and Christopher Lee. Those two gents would have made a frightening cinematic magic, I tell Jim Abel. Questions. Is there a film you used to love but dislike or even hate now? There's movies that don't hold up as well as they used to. I mean, I never loved Ghoulies 4, but when I was a kid I watched I was like, Ghoulies 4 is fun! Then I rewatched it for that, and I was like, oh boy, oh! Freddy's Dead. I used to like Freddy's Dead as a kid. I rewatched that, and I was like, for 91, I was like, this is not good for me. I did not enjoy it. Um, uh, how do you feel about all the hate Robert Eggers, the Northman, is receiving from being a white supremacist flick? I did not know about that. Um, I don't I don't know. I, I haven't seen it. It's probably bullshit. Most likely bullshit, but you never know. Like I said, I'm not, I, I don't know if I, if I had seen it, but I doubt it. At what point do you feel M. Night... There was this one guy that always commented about Midsommar being like this anti-white movie. And it's just like, how can they be anti-white when they hire like a 90% white cast? It's just like 99% white cast. It's just like fucking... The internet is full of crazy people and trolls. Um, three. At what point do you feel M. Night Shyamalan lost his mojo? Um, that's a tough call, you know, because lately I think some people have really enjoyed his newer stuff that's come out, like a resurgence. I've like, uh, I, I liked Unbreakable. I thought Signs was was good to a certain point. Um, I I don't think I cared for The Village when it came out. I, I didn't I didn't I don't know if I really had that strong of an opinion though. I didn't even hate The Happening. People were like that's the worst movie ever made. I was just like, eh, you know, what is so? But then like you know, I, I so I don't I never really kept up on M Night Shyamalan. I saw his first two first three movies and I liked all those, but I was never obsessed with him if that makes any sense so i never like followed his career under a magnifying glass i don't i really don't know when he lost his mojo but um i know he made two real uh, last airbender that absolutely everybody hated so it's probably that and um lady in the water most people hated how would you get out of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre type situation? Turn the tables and eat the cannibals? Just stay home? Something else? Well, that's a very scary situation. Like, just kind of, I, I wouldn't approach a house in the middle of nowhere for the most part, um, especially in Texas. I would know better than that. I don't think I would. Um, that's just asking to get fucked up. Um, but in, in that kind of situation, like, if there actually was, like, I, I don't know. Like, if I was already captured, lose my mind. Try to fight back. I mean, you got nothing to lose at that point. Um, yeah. Um, he says, uh, sir, till next week. Um, Adam Watson, you're a review machine. Thank you. And then we have some answers from um, Facebook. Troy Howarth, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, and Roman Polanski. Salvador Funkenstein, Michael Ironside, Sam Peckaball, Malcolm McDowell, and George Romero, Cameron Scott, Rugger Howard, and Martin Scorsese, Zachary Puccinelli, Darwin Jost, Justin, and Tarantino, Aaron Mazzola, Leonardo DiCaprio, and David Lynch, Tim Walker, Paul Nashi, and Dario Argento. That's a good one. Uh, Jeremiah Kipp. This one I love. Lee Marvin and Walter Hill. Mike Mitchell, Mads uh, Mickelson, and Wes Craven. Sam Salerno. Nick Cage with Tarantino would be hilarious. Uh, Charles Meacham. Gary Ullman and Paul Thomas Anderson. Stan, Stan Moreland. Dolly Parton and Rob Zombie. Joachim Johansson. Blake Edwards and John Candy. Marcus Selbing. Edward Wright and uh, Edgar Wright and Nichols Cage. Rory Vargas shoot. Uh, Dario Argento and Guy Pierce circa 2000. I could see Guy Pierce playing uh, the killer in Stenhall Syndrome from 96 really well. Uh, ben Robertson. Um, Werner Herzog and Tatsuyo uh, Nakadai. Um, I'm not sure I'd have to see that actor or see what he's in. Neil Machino, David Lynch, Nicolas Cage, and a new adaption of The Dark Half. Good choice. Uh, Skip Barber, Rugger Howard, any French director. William Adcock, Vincent Price, and John Waters. Steve Gonzalez, Quentin Tarantino, Warren Oates. 
be off for sure. And he also says Stanley Kubrick and Edward Norton. Laugh emoji. That'd probably be a very difficult set, right? Chris Trex, Robert Eggers, and Gary Ullman or Daniel Day-Lewis. Goblin, O'Reilly, uh, Filthina, Pig, and Jonathan Doe. Independent people now. Michael Fisher, I want to see Jordan Peele and John Bogata or Ari Aster and Caleb Landry-Jones. Very cool. And I didn't have a question this week. I really don't. Um, So... What is one childhood movie, somebody asked this, that doesn't hold up? What is a childhood favorite you loved that you don't think is necessarily bad, you just don't think it holds up for you anymore? So I know a lot of people will answer stuff like Garbage Pail Kids. <laughs> Garbage Pail Kids might not hold up for you. So let's hop into this update. we got quite a bit to go through. we got my Vinegar Syndrome order. got some other stuff, uh, imports, all that fun stuff that we all love. But let's get into it. Okay, first up is the 4K of A Clockwork Orange by Stanley Kubrick. Good price. Got it for like 12 bucks shipped. Uh, yeah, we're going to watch it next week, so why not uh, watch it in 4K? Classic movie. Um, Jeremy did ask how long it was. How long is it? Oh, it's about 2 hours and uh, 17 minutes. Why not? Um, here we go. Here's a, um, uh, a nice release from Arrow Films. Now, this one right here was released on the U.K., um, and I did cover it. It's the same edition. It, it looks wonderful. It's loaded with features. This is True Romance starring Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Dennis Hopper, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, Christopher Walken, Tom Sizemore, Chris Penn, Sam Jack, tons of people in this movie. It's a wonderful movie. The uh, Like I said, it's the same stuff um, as the 4K uh, from the UK, but now you can get it stateside, and it's a limited edition, a nice uh, hard box on the outside. So if you missed out, definitely pick this up. It's loaded with special features, so... I highly recommend it. It's a great film directed by Tony Scott with a slew of features and just good stuff. Theatrical and director's cut. Here's another one that if uh, anybody missed out on the steelbook of The Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue from Synapse Films, then this one did get a, a regular standard edition as well. It's a 4K scan. Um, this is one of the greatest zombie films ever made, uh, to be honest. 1974 Spanish-Italian co-production directed by Jorge Grau. Um, and it's just a genuinely creepy, wonderfully amazing film. I covered this on the show. I made Jeremy watch it. Um, the edition looks great, too. Um, if you've never seen Let Sleep Be Corpses Lie, a.k.a. Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue. Do yourself a, a, a favor and pick up this new Blu-ray. Um, it looks really good. Maybe there'll be a 4K down the line. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's it's a, an excellent movie. Ray Lovelock, uh, Christina Gar... What is her name? And Is it Gar... What is it? Garbo? Uh, Galbo. Yeah, it's not Garbo. And then we have uh, Effects, of course, by Giannotti Del Rossi. Arthur Kennedy's in this. Excellent movie. I really recommend it. Up next, we have one from Network. The House in Nightmare Park. I've never seen this one. Um, it's got Ray Milan in it. Um, it's just a, a horror flick from the 70s that I've only seen it in the cover, and I don't know too much about it, but it looks like it's somewhat of a comedic kind of effort, but uh, Network has some movies that I'm very interested in picking up on Blu-ray, so I grabbed that one. Here's another one from 1978 called The Shout, uh, starring Alan Bates, Susanna York, and John Hurt. That's a good cast. I've never seen this. I heard it's a very interesting strange film. Um, kind of like a Banshee character? I'm not 100% sure, but uh, The Shout... Uh, on Blu-ray, good price on it. Then we have another one from Network. This is the Hammer House of Horrors complete series on Blu-ray. I finally got the import here. All 13 episodes on uh, Blu-ray. Uh, it has Peter Cushing in an episode. So I've been going through these. They're all 1980. Um, so far, the show's okay. I remembered some of them as a kid. Then we have another one from the Creative Equator Mast Beast by Nigel Neal. 
And uh, this one, uh, I, I, I'd i heard a little bit about just by passing, like a lot of the, when I do these master lists, like, so I was like, what is all these little shows on here? And they sounded very interesting. Um, I believe it's the complete series, right? Uh, the complete series. It looks like it's six episodes or one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. Um, so, so these look really weird and they just sounded bizarre. So I picked them up. Good price too, 10 bucks. It's just DVD though. And now we're going to get into the, uh, the, the vinegar syndrome stuff. I have kind of a decent amount of stuff here from their, them and their partner labels. Uh, the films of Doris Wishman, the twilight years. Um, so that's right. Uh, egg for 38, lots of stuff here. So we got a bunch of movie, deadly weapons, double agent 73, the immoral three, the amazing transplant, which is a 1970 movie kind of weird film let me die a woman keyholes are for peeping and love toy so yeah it's got a big hard box on the outside then it's got another slip cover and then it's just got the actual release down here uh nice hefty multiple disc thing uh three disc so yeah if you're a fan of doris wishman check it out it's got a lot of movies on there and i pick up almost all the agfa I, I think i pick up all the agfa releases now i think i have missed a couple in the past not recent past but some of the older ones and i think i'm sol it's just a way the cookie crumbles and next up is thriller a cruel picture in 4k with christina Lindbergh. amazing movie here it has both versions they call her one eye which is the on hardcore version and thriller cool picture was the hardcore version it's got a nice hard box on here beautiful um yeah, first they took her speech, then her sight. When they were finished, she used what was left of her for her own frightening kind of revenge. Uh, they call her One Eye. It's a classic movie. Um, banned by the Swedish censorship. Um, yeah, this is a great film. I've covered the Synath release, but I'll definitely cover this one too. Um, I imagine this one looks much better. I think the old Synath release was just the you know the same scan that they had and thrown on Blu-ray. Um, it looked okay, but I imagine the 4K from Vinegar Syndrome is going to look gangbusters of this classic, you know, exploitation movie. Um, th this is a favorite of mine, honestly. I know I've seen some of the people like, I don't like that movie too much. Eh, well, you know, to each their own, but you're wrong. you got to love Thriller, A Cruel Picture. Um, anyways, it's great stuff. Uh, a lot of fucking slow motion. So if you're not a fan of slow motion, then you might not dig this one. But, uh, yeah, th these releases are getting way insane now, like legit. And we have another one here, um, Cloak and Dagger, which is one I've never seen. I know it's a, a favorite of a many people, uh, including Fred Vogel. <laughs> he was very excited when this got announced when we were at Wasteland. He's like, oh, shit, do they have that here yet? And I was like, uh, -uh. But, yeah, that's a, another very cool release here. Um, yeah. Oh, man, this is awesome. Like, so if you're a fan of the film, like, here, here am I buying it, and I'm not, I've never even seen it. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm sure of it. See, I, I love movies. So, like, I know a lot of people, like, I do treasure my collector's ones, but I do watch them. So, I, I do want to watch them. So, it's like some people I feel like will never watch any of their movies. But we got another 4K here of Cloak and Dagger. You know, Vinegar Syndrome is doing the Lord's work. Maybe I'll watch that one. Maybe I'll watch that one this week. Never seen it. Sure, it's great. Amazing release, too. Uh, still got some more here. Okay. This is Saturn's Core new movie. Um, no Resistance. This looked very bizarre. Lunatic Fringe production. I don't know much about this movie. Um, but I, I've got hooked on this Saturn's Core. been collecting them. You look like a fella who's got a couple enemies. It's <laughs> a good tagline. Uh, yeah. This one's super bizarre. Like, at this point now, like, I've watched... I bought all the... the um, uh, Saturn's core, so it's like, I guess they got me now. They got me hooked. 
these these labels like this, that's how they get you. They release a couple of your all-time favorites, and then you're like, oh, I'm willing to check out some other ones here. So we got Fun uh, fun uh, City here, the Coca-Cola Kid. Uh, looks cool. Can't go wrong with that. Got kangaroos on there. Who doesn't love a kangaroo? Um, I mean, <laughs> I don't know much about this either. But again, Fun City, like I've heard him on a lot of podcasts. The guy's got a lot of passion, and I'm willing to fork over that money to check him out. And I love the the one release I did get a chance to watch, too. Uh, what was it? Walking the Edge. So then we have Culture Shock here. Game of Survival. This looks like some sort of post-apocalyptic flick. Cool cover. Um, looks like it's got Cheapo Hulk on there. Um, yeah, so I, I remember this cover art. I, I don't think I ever rented it. <laughs> what is this like a demon on the back? Look at him. <laughs> uh, uh, that that genuinely made me happy. Uh, here we go next. We got Stanley, which is a uh, um, William Griffey flick. Um, and then uh, we also have Whore High, which both of these had DVD releases. I think they're BCI or Code Red releases. Not 100%. It's been a long time. So now we have them for Vinegar Syndrome on Blu-ray. Very cool. Everybody was complaining, why the hell isn't Stanley in that William Griffey box set? Well, now we got it from Vinegar Syndrome. Okay, then we have Scared to Death. Oh, that's that's a pretty crazy slipcover right there. Um, this is directed by, who is it, Peter, uh, William Malone. And, uh, yeah, this is a 1980 flick. Definitely going to watch it for 1980. Very excited to see a Blu-ray of it. Um, yeah, Scared to Death. I know it was a monster movie. There was a sequel, a sequel Sigenator, or Sigenator. I think I did see that one. had uh, David Gale in it. Was that his last movie? Was that David Gale's last film? Then we have Voyage of the Rock Aliens. Um, oh, I remember this cover too. It's Craig Schaefer on there. Looking looking, looking like fit. Is that Craig Schaefer? It sure looks like him, man. Story of a guy, girl, and an alien, and the one night they will always remember. I feel like that's got to be him. Am I right? Am I wrong? Yeah, it is Craig Schaefer from Nightbreed. That's right. Yeah, I've never seen this one. It looks... Fucking bonkers is what it looks like, to be honest. But uh, I know it's got its fans, and the title alone is going to get somebody to buy it. Um, then we have here, oh, jeez, Miami Connection. And I, I think I've seen this one. I remember being incredibly goofy and silly. Um, weird film. Miami Connection. This would be a, a party movie you put on, group of friends, have some, some burgers, some beers, a few laughs. Troubles are over, dude. Uh... Good stuff. Just take me half an hour to put all these in the million slipcovers. What is that Russian doll where like you open one thing and then you open it as a smaller version of that doll? That's a vinegar syndrome now. It's like we got twelve slipcovers, all of them in there. Have fun getting your movie. I'm just kidding. I like I like the stuff. It's really it's really cool though. Red Red Surf. This is a VS uh, VSA. George Clooney. DD Piper. Okay, so yeah, I, I love the covers, the uh, hard boxes on these Vinegar Syndrome archives, but Red Surf. Don't know much about this one. Uh, Gene Simmons on the back there collected a paycheck. Just kidding. I've actually never seen Gene Simmons do a terrible job in a movie. I mean, as little bit as he is in Trick or Treat, he does a good job. Um, expect No Mercy. Billy Blanks, this looks like more of the uh, kind of cheesy action films that came out in the 90s. Um, covered the video stores when I was a kid. Um, never seen this one. Um, if I did, I don't remember it. But I used to rent a lot of them, like PM Entertainments, like Hologram Man. I love that shit. 
Uh, love to see Hologram Man get a Vendor Syndrome release or a VSA or something. I was always a huge fan of that movie. Still love it. And then we have uh, Videophobia. Um, and this is, uh, what is, what company is this? Jeez, um, I can't think of the, I, I don't remember the name, but the Kana, Kani, I think that's them. It said the total world wide viewing time of pornography wait it is said that the total worldwide viewing time of pornography amounts to 500 billion hours roughly 5 million years oh shit <laughs> this looks insane too like and this is one that i didn't buy initially when it was released and then like i was like man i didn't have the money at the time and i started regretting it so then like the next month i was like well i'm just gonna add that too and get i had the yearly subscription so 50 percent off still picked it up video phobia and this is the same thing i felt kind of off about not getting king car i thought that sounded interesting enough from dark star so i grabbed this one as well um looks cool looks weird looks visually awesome um yeah king car i i don't buy as many as the modern movies as i should from vinegar syndrome but i buy a handful that sound really interesting and i got the taboo box i I know I'm not big on slip covers, but when you you make these boxes, and I just think the boxes look so slick, I, I like to keep the boxes on the shelf. I'm a box whore, I guess. You know, not a slip cover whore, just a box whore. Um, anyways, let's get back to that video. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching, and as always, have a good one. Me.